So we were fully acclimatized. And we're like, all right, if it rains or the conditions are really crappy, we're not going to continue. Sure is not. We, we were about, I don't know, maybe maybe 100 meters from oh, the summit. Oh, something ridiculous. I mean, we were so close and, and it started raining. And, you know, when it comes down, it comes down in the tropics. So we, we just turned around and we started running back. <laughs> so we've been up there so many times and used this mountain. We've never summited it. And, and with the... With the um with the guide that you're with, is he with you the whole time? No, no, no that was without the guide. We, we never took, uh, we're with the guide on this particular okay. mountain. So he just sent you off and said like, okay, you can wow. take the gondola up and then you're going to, you're going to be. No, 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 we always did that before we even met him. Oh, okay. I had a, I had a question about the gondola. Yeah. Was that a suggested trick or did you come up with that idea? No, we, we came up with it ourselves. We That's just a found brilliant out. idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's amazing. First time you've heard of something like that. Yeah, so just while researching like um, stuff to do. Things to do around the city. I'm like, oh my God, we can take this gondola up to 13 yeah. and puke. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We get up there the first time and, he, you know, he's walking and he does much better at altitude than I do. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, I think. <laughs> it's really amazing. You know, if you have not experienced that, it's a really, but we know um when you go to different places and you're at altitude, we just know what to expect. start off stomp i found for the show opener i found a heartwarming story for you to want to hear about here Uh, is it part of your hallmark uh, series it's not a hallmark it's it's more like a it's more like a friday the 13th Um, so you you know you know how catalytic converters we we uh we've been seeing people get those stolen quite a bit yeah yeah so i was poking around the internet. I don't know if it was today or yesterday. Oh, it was, there's a group called the Darwin Award. And I found right. this article um, in a, I think it was a subreddit dedicated to the Darwin Award. So a man uh, who authorities say was trying to steal a catalytic converter from a truck in Palmdale, California is dead after being run over by the driver of that truck. The driver, or what was it like? A, just a rash reaction? Did he discover him sawing off the catalytic? Authorities say a car with four suspects inside pulled pulled up to a lifted four by four Ford excursion. One of them got out of the car with a saw, 
got under the vehicle to take off the catalytic converter, a woman was sleeping inside the truck, heard the noise, wow. thought somebody was breaking in, started the engine because she panicked, put the car in reverse. When she felt the bump, she then got out and called 911. Wow, that's and, intense. Um, deputies um, responded. They ended up detaining the other three suspects, and the suspect was um, pronounced dead. Wow. So, karma. That, that was a bumpy crazy. ride. <laughs> I, I know. I know that we. Oh, yeah, that is a bumpy ride. So Thank I you. know, Stomp, that we said that we were not going to fear monger, but I think we should fear monger catalytic converter thieves. So. <laughs> yeah. Just remember, if you're going to be climbing under a vehicle, especially at a trailhead in the White Mountains, you never know if somebody's sleeping in their car and is going to panic and back over you. That's true. Well, yes, words to live by. Yes, you you you're all primed up with some dad jokes tonight, aren't you? <laughs> this is great. That's his usual state. Chris and Tracy are here, so we'll introduce them in a moment. But um, stop. One other thing I wanted to give you a heads up on. I woke up this morning and I was so excited. I was flipping through TikTok and there was a young lady that had posted a, a story. You know how all these balloons and um, unidentified flying objects have been getting shot down? Oh, sure. So excited. She reported, this is literally the first thing I looked at this morning, this girl reported she had a video that had like, you know, 50,000 views already on it. And she said a UFO had been shot down near Keene, New Hampshire. Reports are that um, the debris had fallen somewhere in Swansea, which is, I guess, Swansea's directly south of Keene. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got very excited. The lady pronounced Swansea like Swansea. So she was clearly not from New Hampshire. So my, my antenna went up a little bit. So I immediately go to a bunch of different news sources and type in like New Hampshire, um, UFO, shot down, whatever. I can't find any news stories. So sure enough, I check back like six hours later and there's no confirmation on any of this. So I was so excited for you guys that you're going to have your very first UFO shoot down. But apparently... <laughs> It was a false news. No, I went back to the girl and she did have another video where she was like, everybody came for me and I apologize, but I have sources that have sent me pictures assuring me that something was shot down overnight in or on or around Keene, New Hampshire. So hmm. I would have heard about I'll that. I'll keep an eye that's on the story. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I was wondering why they canceled that hot air balloon ride I tried to get for Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. It's probably not a good time to go on these uh, balloon rides. Maybe that's why he's booking it for me. (laughs) He's increasing your life insurance policy and sending you on a balloon ride. (laughs) Get in touch with herself solo. Yes. (laughs) All right. So anyway, so we've got the catalytic converter guy getting run over. We've got the false story about UFOs. And then um, I did have an uplifting story stomp about hiking. So we were, I'll talk a little bit more about the trip that we did over the weekend on the Twins and Galehead, but mm-hmm. ran into a guy on South Twin that was breaking out. I think he came up from Zealand and went over to Guillaume and then was up on South Twin, just had a quick conversation with him. And then uh, he was heading on his way. There was four of us. One of the guys I was hiking with had fallen between North and South Twin and apparently, like, none of us noticed, but he lost his outdoor research, like, big mitt. 
And yeah. um, luckily, I had put a trip report in the New England trail conditions with my email address. Right. The guy that we met on Salt Twin, his name is Ron. He's friends with Keith Gentili. Oh, I, Keith. Keith, the author. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I guess Keith had mentioned him on the show because he emailed me and he was like, oh, I didn't know it was you, but I'm friends with Keith. So the good news is, is what ended up happening was he was like, I found this glove halfway between South and North Twin, and I wanted to check to see if it was your group. And sure enough, it was my friend Peter who was with us. He ended up, he had lost his glove, so Ron is going to ship it back to him. So- Hmm. Reason I tell this story is as a reminder, like there is a lost and found group in um, on Facebook for the White Mountains. But when you put a new when you put a trail report up on the New England trail conditions, you also put your email in there. People can track you down if if things are lost that way. So another benefit for putting in the trail reports. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I thought that was an uplifting story. Yeah, it sure was. We need Keith back in sometime soon, too, to cover Arcadia. Have you guys ever been to Arcadia? You have. In Maine? Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, nice place. Yeah. Used to go up there pretty much once a year. And then Chris and I went up with my kids. And yeah. Their my first visit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, we, we plan to do a full show on it with uh, Keith, actually. Yeah, Stomp, we may need to book a weekend, me and you, just for research purposes before that show. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. But we always say that. I think you and I are lucky to get out once a year, <laughs> it mm. seems. <laughs> well, I mean, once every couple of months, maybe. But Yeah. All right, so next up here, Stomp, you said um, you, you pulled this one. I don't know anything about this, so I'm going to have to rely on you to sort of break this down. But Tenney Mountain is opening the scheme? Mm. Yeah, Tenney Mountain is uh, in Plymouth. It's off of uh, Tenney Mountain or Tenney... Tenny, is it Tenny Road? Tenny Road, I guess? Tenny Mountain Road. Tenny Mountain Road, okay. So this this mountain's been around forever. When I was snowboarding back in the day, back in the 80s, it was around and it was fully operational. Then it closed down for the you know the past few decades. But um, the good news is for, well, good news for some, not so much for others, it's open again. It was open um, the weekend of the 10th, I believe. And uh, they're fully operational, blowing snow and everything. So... It's a nice little boost for the area. The only people that are pissed off about it are, are the backcountry skiers, and I totally get it. Um, they, they, ne- they, you know, the trails are still there. They were fairly safe to just backcountry ski, and you could always get deep powder when storms came rolling through. So it was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, that seems to be the only crowd that uh, is complaining at the moment. But uh, yeah, just so you know, it's open. Skitenny.com. Very good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been to that one. When I was a kid, we would go to Sunapee, and we I think I learned at Sunapee and Gunstock and then Waterville Valley, but I never went to Tenney when mm-hmm. it was open back then, so well, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, that's definitely worth it. They have some challenging trails, a couple steep ones for sure. I read that. Somebody was saying, like, they were like, oh, it's it's the fall line on it is not good and it's too difficult or something. And somebody else was like, no, it's not. So uh, it was some argument I read online about it. Hmm. Very good. All right. And then next here, Snop, we have an article out of Lemonster, Mass. There was a report of a, a mis- somebody was hiking and they heard somebody yelling for help or they thought they heard somebody yelling for help. <laughs> And it caused a big um, search and rescue effort in Lemonster, or maybe not a big one, but a search and rescue effort, and nobody was found. So they don't know if it was a hiker or 
uh, an alien, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, a bobcat or a lost hiker. I mean, apparently bobcats sound like that. Oh yeah, I've heard that. You've you've heard of that as well. Yeah, yeah. and I think I've personally heard that myself, just bushwhacking over the years. Raccoons can make a god awful noise too, like a crying, screaming. Huh. Yeah, I've heard that in the trees as well. Interesting. Yeah. I pulled that one up, Mike, because it was in mass, right? I appreciate it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm just, and I mean, I'm not, I don't want to put two and two together, but I'm just looking at a map right here and like Keene and Swansea, and then you go a little bit south and it's pretty close to Lemonster. So something could be going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the cats are around, that's for sure. I mean, we're getting more sightings up here. So. All right, and then next up here, we have a reminder for the listeners that shoulder season is approaching, and um, you want to start thinking about what you need to do to prepare. I think for me, the biggest thing is um, continuing to bring my spikes with me. I will typically switch over from boots to trail runners with the understanding that my feet are going to get wet and I just accept it. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then I'll look to switch out my backpack and, you know, I think with shoulder season, if you're going to go up high, then, you know, you got to bring your snowshoes. This is the time of the year where I start thinking about going to like the Belknaps or the Ossipee range in like April and in May to kind of avoid that, that gross stuff. Sure. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, for me, spikes, absolutely, because you never know when you're going to run into some ice and stuff like that. But post holing is a big one, too, because if you're walking on deeper snow and then you fall through, you can certainly hurt your ankle, hurt your leg or, or any other part for that matter. So just be aware of that. Um, and of course, you're still dealing with wintry conditions up above well into the next month or two, even into early June. So keep your cold gear uh, with you for the next uh, several weeks, for sure. It's not time to ditch that stuff. No, I'm sure we're due for some more snow. Oh, yeah. By the way, eight inches for next week. Oh, see? Crazy, crazy winter. It's been an absolutely crazy winter. Will that be enough to get you guys going back on the trails for snowmobiling? Yeah. Yes, it could be. Yep. So, yeah, they need a six-inch inch foundation, uh, assuming that the intermittent rain in between these douses of uh, snow don't damp it down, then yeah, we'll be good to go. They were hoping to get through uh, the vacation weeks, but that's not going to happen. They've, they've essentially closed down, with this company anyway, f- until the 3rd of March, but it could be next weekend if it comes to fruition. Did they leave the trails open? Trails are open. Um that's a weird thing. I mean, so, so you'll see people out there, despite the fact that the New Hampshire Trail Association will say trails are closed. So a lot of the tr- clubs you can log on to and they will post which trails are open, which are closed. But uh, they definitely tell you when they're closed. And if you're out there, then that's not the coolest thing, because then you're dealing with environmental impact, too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 When we walked out, we walked out on Gale River Road and there was, um, it was kind of funny because like Jake, for whatever reason, he's like the, the snowmobile whisperer because I couldn't hear anything because we were wearing snowshoes. So all you can hear is the crunching of snowshoes. But Jake, for whatever reason, he was like, he would put his hand up and be like, there's a snowmobile coming by. And we would all like, one of them came around the corner pretty fast and we all sort of ditched off to the side. But the the road was groomed. But I don't know what the what the minimum 
it didn't seem like it was that much depth to it. No, not at all. Like there's one section um, right now that was showing grass. And uh, when you're crossing some of the bridges, like wooden bridges, say uh, going out to like Cherry Pond, um, it gets dangerous, you know? So there are a lot of other obstacles, the water bars, you name it. So, yeah. Well, we'll pray for snow for you. <laughs> Thank you, Father. <laughs> um, anything else for shoulder season to think of, Snop? Uh, shoulder season. How about you two? Chris, Tracy? What about it? Shoulder season. What, what to prepare with? Any th- tips or pointers? Or I, I'm sure we have our spikes into June. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. looking at trail reports and just from experience going up there. and Oh, sure. Keep, keep keeping the winter gear in, in the bag. Yeah. Now, when you say trail reports, you mean what? Like New England? New England, yeah. Okay, that's a great resource, actually. So, NewEnglandTrailConditions.com. You can, uh, you know, look into the several surrounding states, but there's a great New Hampshire section, and people post their hikes pretty much the day after they they hike or that afternoon and uh, give a nice update. Yeah, and one thing that I would say is if you are putting reports on, especially this time of the year, I can't remember who had written, somebody had written a reminder on like one of the social media groups, but um, don't just do the trails that you, you hiked, keep an eye out for the the crossing trails and include those in your report so that you say like, okay, like, like I, I went across like Garfield Ridge, like we took Gale River down, but I looked over at Garfield Ridge and you could see that like that trail was broken out there. So, um, I usually will include those cross trails as well, just to give people a heads up. So when you put the in there that it's open, it looked like it was broken out and somebody only went down there 10 feet. Yeah, I know <laughs> that does happen. That does happen. So <laughs> that does happen a lot, actually, because people will be like, oh, let me go down a little bit and I'll use the, you know, I'll take a bio break. And then, you know, somebody gets excited. It's broken out and they're in for a miserable day. So sorry. <laughs> All right, Stomp, you got a couple of articles here on the 10 essentials. I think that um, we've already covered one of these. It was like a research study that did, you know, that they covered in Monadnock about like, you know, how useful the 10 essentials are and whether or not you use them. And I think there was some survey done with like 900 hikers. And basically, I think that this article just said that like you don't use the 10 essentials that much. Uh, But I don't know, Stomp, what your angle was here on it. I have some thoughts, but I'll let you kick it off. Well, this is, it, you know, it starts off with a backpacker.com uh, story about uh, the gear. And it says 10 essentials less important than you think. And what's funny about this link here, I was just, I, I just came across it doing some research for the show. And what's great about this is it's a thread of hikers just commenting on the article. So that's what makes it great. It takes it outside of the, the, uh, academic realm and it puts it into the hiker realm and it the, some of the comments are hilarious and people come up with some really good input so we'll give you the link and you can check it out it's a mega thread essentially of comments yeah and i think with the, the my perspective on this is that you know yeah you not, you're not going to use like I've, I've had these like waterproof matches in my in my first aid kit for life. I should probably actually see if they still work. I'm assuming they do. And I have a lighter too, but like I've had this yeah. stuff in, like I've, I've got like gauze that's probably like six, seven years old. Yes. You're not going to use it. Like if you're doing things right on trail, you're never going to use these 10 essentials that I mean, you use your headlamp and whatever, but it's just think of it like an insurance policy. There's three things. One is you may use it. The other is you may run into somebody that needs to 
um, use some of the stuff. The third scenario is is that oh, they're cracking beers right now. The third scenario is that you run it, you get involved in a search and rescue, and you can at least show the fish and game people that you've got your stuff with you, and they're going to give you a like a the height. Mike McLaughlin was well prepared. In the article, right? That's all I. If that ever happens to you, and that's where they leave it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's too funny. And then I'll also throw in this reminder, like from my perspective, as far as data goes, I think there's like you know we said there was like 54. So I think almost half of the search and rescue events that happen in the whites are related to lower leg injuries. I think that that's a good enough endorsement to think about bringing a splint along and including like a splint. In that like gauze wrap or whatever that wrap is called, stomp, um, just so you can stabilize an injury. Yeah, ace, ace wrap, ace, ace wrap. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and next up, stomp, you got a plug. You want to plug uh, the Golden Gator Gators Award? Yeah, time's running out. Uh, you can submit your votes to our. Slasher's first annual Golden Gator Awards, which is on March 10th, that Friday episode. And um, basically, it's just voting for your favorites a favorite trail, favorite peak, favorite influencer, favorite gear you name it. There's, you know, 50 plus uh, categories. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll keep it up for like another week and then uh, close it down. But yeah, get your votes in. Quite a, quite a big response so far. Definitely some trends that you may be surprised about. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the data uh, probably this week. I have like a I have like a nice pair of um, outdoor research um, gators. I think they're called crocodiles or something. But I also bought and my daughter uses them. But I bought a pair of like Amazon gators. They're like nylon raincoat material. They're pretty good. I used them for like three or four years. Yeah. If I spray paint those gold stomp, do you want them? And you can like use those as like the Sure. Hand out to the big winner. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> you can take a picture of yourself in them. Are we wearing a bow tie, like a suit and bow tie for this event? No. no. Hmm. You can get one of those t-shirts that has the tuxedo in the front. Okay. <laughs> hey, watch out. Here comes Will Smith. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> None of that. Yeah. That'd be good, huh? All right, so uh, moving on to pop culture talk here, Stomp. So uh, Raquel Welch has passed away as of today. She was 82 years old. She was a big sex symbol. Just came across the wires, yeah, Yeah. just about an hour ago. That's a shame. I remember as a kid seeing her image, and she was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But the uh, one I remember is one million years BC. And of course, as a little kid, I was so into like the dinosaurs and all that stuff. So that's uh, my memory of Raquel, but uh, rest in peace. Chris, you must have some memories of Raquel Welch. I can't talk about it now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. He did change the rating to explicit. (laughs) Non-disclosure agreement. (laughs) That's true. I'm the old guy here. (laughs) We're not too far Uh, behind you, but I'm pretty sure that one of my friends had like her, the the iconic pose of her in 1 million BC um, as a poster. In his room, you know, like most of us had the Farrah Fawcett, but I think he had the, the Raquel Welch poster. So did it like glow under a, a blue light or black light or anything like that? It was probably stuck to his wall with thumbtacks like the rest of us. Oh, well, 
All right, so next up, PewDiePie, it's not, I don't know anything about this, PewDiePie deep dives video generated by AI. I don't know who right. PewDiePie is. You I don't know who PewDiePie is? No, I don't. Wow. Do you guys know who PewDiePie is? Oh my no goodness. Idea. I know because my daughters were crazy about him. And uh, he's a, he's the, he was the biggest influencer on YouTube. And he still is. He was overtaken by a gigantic uh, corporation from India in terms of uh, views and whatnot. So a couple of years back, there was this gigantic race to get to a billion views or whatever it was. But uh, uh, anyway, long story short, he um, put out a video and he goes over like all these new AI platforms for video and audio and he plugs in some of the funniest content you'll ever see. It, it's really hilarious. You know, he puts a personal picture up into this platform, erases his face or erases his pet's face and asks the AI to put another individual in there or, or some other content. And some of the results were just absolutely hilarious. It's a great video. So well worth uh, the 10 or 15 minutes. Piqued my interest. Uh, oh, that, it's I'll great. have to ask my kids too, because uh, my daughters probably know. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I growing up with uh, my daughters, I, I got into a whole bunch of funny stuff that they were into. I've sort of lost touch with that now. I mean, they're all into like K-pop and all this other crazy stuff. So, But anyway, back in the day, PewDiePie was all the rage. Yeah. I think um, I was just looking it up while you were talking. So Mr. Beast is the, is the big one that overtook Pewdie or PewDiePie, whatever his name is. So Mr. Beast is this guy that goes around and I don't know that much about him, but my daughters do watch it. And I think yeah. the only, he seems like he's this guy that goes around and gives away money. Um, they did a big, like they rented out a mall. The one episode I've seen of Mr. Beast, and I'll link this in the show notes. They mm-hmm. rented out a mall and then they, I think they had like a hundred people. They gave them a suitcase with like $10,000 each. And then they had to hide in the mall. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Beast had like 10 of his friends, like, had to find them, and then the last person would win the ten thousand dollars. So yeah. it was kind of funny. They're all hiding in like video game cabinets and stuff like. That. So it was it was mm. pretty interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I wonder how these people start out. Do they start out without any financial backing because I know once you get rolling, I mean, you can certainly pull in a lot of uh, income doing these things. I'm in the wrong line of work. <laughs> I don't know though. I mean, I think it's it's sort of like getting hit by lightning, blowing oh, up sure. like this. Matter of fact, I have an article that we'll finish up at the end of the show that talks about these um, these influencers that were involved in sort of hiking and they ended up ended up dying. So we'll we'll talk about that. So another uplifting story. <laughs> yes, we're all about the uplifting stories. You follow yeah. them, huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, so this next one here for sticking with pop culture, and then we're going to wrap it up, is uh, Your Honor with Brian Cranston. So this is the guy that played um, Walter in Breaking Bad. He's got a yes. new show. Stop. What, what is this on? Well, this is uh, season two. It's Showtime. And the first season was absolutely amazing. Great writing. The acting was phenomenal. It's uh, They come up with novel ideas and um, the, the, the breadth of... And the scope of the show is just really fantastic. But the, are you guys watching that at all? We have not watched that. Okay, it, it's you got to see it. I mean, it's just fantastic. So second season just came out, and it's pretty much surpassing the awesomeness of the first season. So highly recommended. I mean, Brian Cranston's this awesome anyway. He's an incredible actor. We're a huge uh, Yellowstone. Oh, where is that on break or something? 
oh, they're doing some weird thing now where they stopped it and yeah. they're only airing an episode every week. I'm mm. like, it's gone back to like network TV where you yeah. gotta wait a week. Yeah, how can you binge? Yeah. <laughs> you can't. Right. I got mad. I'm like, what are we watching this for? I can't sit here and watch it all day. <laughs> Some of us have to work anyways. <laughs> oh yeah, Mr. Retired. Uh, yes. Anyway, um, so check it out. I have a recommendation for a series. I just watched Willow on um, Disney Plus, which is pretty good. Yeah. It's kind of a brainless fantasy type of show, but I liked it. Yeah, Eight that's, episodes. I that's a revamp it. of the old one with Tom Cruise. It's based on the movie that George George Lucas was the producer, Val Kilmer. Oh, um, wait, it's, it, it's, it's a pretty good Cruise? 80s fantasy movie. Okay, maybe I'm thinking something different. Was, wasn't Tom Cruise in that one? As I don't young, think so, no. No? I'm no. Not, something... Something similar. Oh, well. Yeah. All right. And then uh, you got here something. McDonald's did something. They, they had to answer <laughs> for their crimes. I just had to add this. This doesn't belong in this section, but it's hilarious. <laughs> it says, McDonald's withdraws tasteless, quote unquote, advert near a crematorium. So basically, McDonald's has apologized after an advertisement for the fast food chain's McCrispy Burger was placed close to a crematorium in the UK. <laughs> Also, although some locals did see the funny side. That's just a great story. I just love that. I heard that on the radio this morning, and I thought it was kind of hysterical, to be honest. Mick Crispy. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, and then last bullet point here. You, Stump, you got something about the national anthem. You, you noticed the singer during the national anthem? Yeah, well, first of all, did anybody watch that game? I sort of partially yeah. watched it the super bowl did you see it mike i did yeah i watched it with me, uh, me and mrs mike watched it and you know it was, it was a good game yeah i heard it was okay up until the end like it just sort of flatlined at the end i don't know i'm not a big football guy well they had a weird yeah they had like a weird call and then it was just like anticlimactic it was just a field goal to win the game. i mean i guess that's exciting you know they can miss the field goal but it was like a chip shot yeah, gotcha. Well, during the uh, national anthem, the actor from Coda, which won best, I think it was, it was, it was a best whatever last year at the Oscars, and it stands for you know children of deaf adults, and it's an incredible story. It was filmed up in Gloucester. Um, it's one of those movies that, at one point, it just absolutely breaks your heart. And then after that, it breaks your heart like another dozen times. I've never seen anything quite like it. It's a beautiful story. So I was so thrilled to see this guy signing during the national anthem. He's one of the actors that are in the movie. So it was just a neat little takeaway there for you. Well, that's cool. Yeah. All right. So moving on to sponsor stomp. Yes, we have our first sponsor of the night, and that is Sweet Beginnings Daycare. It's a New Hampshire State licensed Child care provider that offers care for children from six weeks to 12 years with flexibility in before and after school care as well. Sweet Beginnings aims to instill a love for learning by providing a safe and positive experience within a loving and warm environment. Sweet Beginnings believes this is a good foundation to teach children in order to prepare them for their future. For more information, contact Sweet Beginnings at 603-568-4530 or Sweet Beginnings Daycare on Facebook, or email Shandy at ShandyElliot at Outlook.com. And uh, if anybody's looking for stickers, we have them at Ski Fanatics, which is just right here in Campton at Exit 28. You can stop in and grab some, or if you're in the... (laughs) 
Spinners. Spinners. If you're in the Andover area off of Dascom Road, Spinners Pizza Parlor. That's Chris's. Chris and Tracy. Have you been there, Tracy? Yeah, yeah, yeah both we of were you both. guys. Yeah. Stop in and see Dolls and Pops. Dolls and Pops. <laughs> Go get your stickers. Your stickers. We make our way all over the place. It's so awesome. No, that that was so cool when you guys did that. They were thrilled, and uh, it's just really neat. And um, so we have one donation. Stacy Tardiff uh, donated uh, five coffees for us after the uh, Jack Daly big cat joke about uh, uh, being a cougar. I guess it was <laughs> a cultural reference with uh, with Jack Daly. So that was really clever. And uh, thank you, Stacy. Remember, I was nervous. I'm like, oh, maybe we should pull that. I don't know if that's appropriate. I mean, honestly, it was appropriate. It was appropriate. I mean, it was, it was, I don't hear those phrases anymore, but there was a time in the culture where people were saying that stuff all the time and it was a big joke and whatever. It was, it was fine. I have my human resources hat on sometimes. No, I get it. Totally. Downer Mike. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's always good to check me anyway. True, true, true. All right. So welcome to episode 93 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we will be doing a review of a recent winter hike on the Twins and Galehead that I did. And then, um, so we'll break down the route, the trail conditions, and the crowd to give you a sense of what's going on out there in winter hiking. And then later in the show, we are welcoming Captain Chris and Lil Squirt. Chris and Tracy. (laughs) Is that how I say it? Lil Squirt? Oh, Lil. Is that your rap name? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Somehow, I got banned from my previous trail name of Captain Morgan because I was told there could oh. only be one captain. Oh, oh. wow. There's tension. So, tension yeah. I actually like Captain oh, yeah. Chris and Captain Morgan, but okay. So little <laughs> squirt. You know, um, they're going to be here for an around the world segment. So they'll join us to talk about their adventures in the White Mountains, as well as their travels to Europe, Africa, Colorado, Ecuador, Patagonia and Scotland, and I probably missed something else here. Um, so all this, and if we don't run out of time, we'll get to recent search and rescue news. And we are doing it this night because we've, oh, we've, we've kicked got the to. last two weeks, so we got to do it. So I'm Mike. Yeah, and I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Okay, Stomp. <laughs> so more sponsors. More sponsors. Oh, I, I've been a little distracted. Oh, wow. Okay, so the next sponsor here is a fairly new sponsor for us. So we have 48 Peaks Alzheimer's. Hike to fight Alzheimer's with 48 Peaks, a fundraising and awareness event for the Alzheimer's Association. Join 450 plus hikers this summer as we hike New Hampshire's 4,000 footers or create your own hiking adventure from a 52 of the view to a Prezi Traverse or climb your favorite mountain. Together, we will paint the mountains purple and raise vital funding to advance the care, support, and research efforts of the Alzheimer's Association. Visit alz.org, write slash the number 48 peaks. So it's alts.org, right slash 48 peaks to learn more. And oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh no, this could be the last moment. Oh no, not another choke. <laughs> Giving up the ghost. <clears throat> I just wanted to just briefly uh, give a shout out to our supporters, EMS and Reckless Brewery. And uh, everybody knows Reckless Brewery, one of the best breweries up around here, up in Bethlehem. And of course, EMS, uh, a fantastic outdoor clothing store, gear store. And you can go check them out at EMS.com. <laughs> I was like holding out hope so that you were going to start choking. I got to make episode 100. I got to. <laughs> Just a few more.
<laughs> we'll let the executive producer in, though, to, you know, oh revitalize you after. Were you scared? Were you frightened for your life? I'm telling you, Daphne was headbutting the door and crying. You know, Tracy is apparently a little bit uh, sensitive to the cat dander and all that. So no Daphne tonight. Free Daphne. Mm-hmm. Stomp, do you have you ever seen that movie? I think it's the Twilight Zone, the movie from the eighties. And there was a scene, and I used to be so goddamn scared of cats. Um, <laughs> there was a scene where this little girl was sleeping in bed, yeah, and a cat like broke into her room, and she was like breathing, and the cat like stole all of her breath. Oh, I and do like, I think that. killed the little girl. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, vaguely. I'm like, stole her spirit or something like that. Uh, yeah, I need to, I'm going to find that on <clears throat> YouTube. Yeah, stole, exactly. It was like yeah. a cat that's, which totally makes sense. That's a, that's the vibe cats give off. Yeah, I think that's one of those like cultural tales that traverses many different cultures and ages. I think that's one of those uh, totem myths or whatever that's out there, you know, cats yeah. stealing mm-hmm. your souls. Uh, well, that's yeah, because I believe remember- it. <laughs> Yeah, because remember the cat cult, that was the whole thing is the lady said that the cats would hold the souls of, I think, the good pe- the good 144,000 people that survive. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. just talked about that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, stay away from Daphne. Anyway, beer talk. What are you guys drinking tonight? Uh, ladies before gentlemen, I guess. Oh. Well, I don't usually get called a lady, so <laughs> I have a Voodoo Ranger Juice Force IPA. Huh. Uh, we discovered Voodoo Ranger while we we're out in Colorado. Uh, good stuff. So that's brewed out in Colorado. Do you find it around here locally? We do now. Yeah. Wow. Cool. But that's where we first located it. Was out there. Oh, that's neat. And you, Chris? And I have a Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA. Wow, Imperial. Nine so percent. fancy. Nine. <laughs> yeah. This is nine and a half. <laughs> One and done. <laughs> it's incredible. How about you, Mike? Anything? I am drinking. So Mrs. Mike got me. I actually, I'm impressed with Mrs. Mike. So she'll, when I run out of beer now, she'll buy me beer. And then she'll pick what she thinks I like. Huh. Um, so she, she kind of failed. She got me like an Allagash White type of beer, and I was like, yeah, like an IPA. So she went <laughs> on and got me, um, it's called 617 from Lord Hobo Brewing Company out of Woburn, yeah. Mass. Nice. I've had some of their and stuff. It's, a, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's a hazy IPA, and the thing I like about it is that it's 6.17% alcohol. Hmm. Almost uh, water. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's 617 for the Boston zip code. Oh, okay, gotcha. And going. then 6.17, um, which I think Woobin is 781 for their their um, area code. So I don't know if they're they're trying to flex on some of the Boston <laughs> coolness. But they're capping on the, uh, uh, yeah. the other. Isn't Lauren Hobo the one that does boom sauce too? Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's another high alcohol ABV. Oh, yeah. ABB. That's a one and done. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm having a uh, Burlington... Beer Company, uh, let's see what it's called here, Stainless Forest. I've, I love Burlington Beer Company. They're definitely one of my favorites. Um, and it's a double IPA coming in at a solid 8.2%. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right, so we are moving on to recent hikes here, Stomp. So um, I think, obviously, you haven't been hiking. You've been doing the snowmobile stuff. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, I don't. I guess so. 
yeah, there's a couple things, a couple neat things. Um, I had a, uh, a boo-boo where I took a, a tour up towards um, Gorham and I was looking for a pond, totally missed it and ended up going like 20 miles beyond where I wanted to go. <laughs> and I had to get that, get to that awkward, uncomfortable moment where I had to pull over and stop and say, I, <clears throat> uh, I totally missed it and we're turning around. I, I went all the way up to like Gorm. I couldn't believe it. It was so ridiculous. I was looking for safety pond, went right by it. So it was pretty silly. Um, I, I, while I was up there, by the way, they let ATVs on the snowmobile trails. So I saw three ATVs with, you know, four wheelers, four wheelers yeah. cruising along up into uh, Jericho Pond. And it looked like they were sort of struggling, but I guess that's allowed up there. That was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I <laughs> on the rail trail that connects to Appalachia Trailhead, you know, the yeah. long rail trails. Yeah. Um, cruising along there, in the distance, I see these two little dots. And as we're getting closer and closer and closer, ends up being these two really moderate-sized deer just sitting uh-huh. right in the middle of the snowmobile trail. And they... They didn't budge until we got within, say, 30 feet, and then they bolted. But it was sort of neat. Like, are those people? And then... (laughs) (laughs) Your vision's about as good as mine. (laughs) Yeah, it was was crazy. Oh, and by the way, this is is another reason why it's so dangerous Um, at this time of the year, and they have to close some of the trails. We had somebody break one of the uh, sled uh, axle rods, like, you know, the skis on Mm -hmm. the front. So he was coming in towards the end, like literally a tenth of a mile back to where we start and hit one of the rail tr- rails of the old uh, Fabian's railroad and oh. rip the, rip the ski right off, rip the whole, like the, the strut, everything just ripped it right off. Uh, luckily he was okay. But yeah, that's one of the reasons why they like to be really cautious with the uh, trail conditions and things. So that was my week. How about you? You yeah. got a good hike in? I do. Yeah. I'll break it down in a minute, but I I had one comment about the snowmobiling is that Mm. I drove up on Saturday morning. Yeah. I think I left my house. We got, I got to Beaverbrook at like 620. So I left my house at like four or so. And uh, matter of fact, I left my house at four. I knew it was going to be a good day because when I got to hooks at the rest area, the breakfast sandwiches, they're usually like not out until like 530 or so. Um, (laughs) the breakfast sandwiches were like out and ready to go at like four thirty in the morning when I got to the rest area. So I was like, I know this is going to be good, but, um, <laughs> I got through Franconia. No, I got into Franconia notch. It started snowing at like exit 28 or so. It was like just coming down a little bit. So things started to slow down. Hmm. Going through the notch was like very precarious. It was coming down pretty significantly. And then when you, when you break off of, of, uh, 93 to get onto route three to head up towards twin mountain, like, I was giving myself like maybe like eight or nine. I mean, all right. I was being a mass Massachusetts. I was giving myself like eight or nine car lanes because I was like, if I have to stop, like there's no way that I'm going to be able to stop in time. And I was driving my daughter's car, the Subaru. So I had a small car, but I was like, I, I don't know way I'm going to be able to stop in time because even though the plows are in front of us, it was like snow on the ground. So I would have slid. And, um, so I was giving good distance. The, these cars with these snowmobiles on the back of them were like right an inch off of my bumper. Oh yeah, they're pretty. And I'm like, what are they? In general, I have, no, yeah. I have, I yeah. totally understand why there's so many snowmobile accidents. Because then we got off of um, 93 and got and headed towards Twin Mountain. You can't see anything. The snow's coming down. It's like a whiteout. And the guy that was driving an inch off my bumper, Pat, he had two snowmobiles on the like top of his like 
pickup truck. Stacked. He passed us on Route 3, passed like six or seven cars. Like there was no way that he would know whether or not cars were coming the other direction. Right. He just went and he was going like 90 miles an hour. Yeah. No, I hear you. I, I see it all the time. They're generally fairly aggressive drivers and they're in a hell of a rush for whatever reason. But yeah. you're right. That's a funny comparison. Like these are the people on the sleds ripping it at 90 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Huh. I was like, how is he going to stop if I have to stop? Like, I'm dead. Yeah. I'll never forget when I was coming through the notch. I, I've said this before, but I was working up in Franconia and one of those, you know, big trucks and the, the sled carriers in the back came cruising past me on the left, cut in front of me within within feet and then off they went. So uh, this was right around exit 32. And when we get into the notch, it was one of these cold mornings the notch froze up. It froze up like instantaneously. And sure enough, traffic comes to a stop and this guy had slipped off and driven right off of the uh, parallel to the basin, that big boulder that's just past the basin. Um, The sleds were upside down, totally demolished. His truck was in a ditch somewhere. So I don't know, it was almost like one of those karma things. I didn't feel too bad. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's not like I'm driving slow either. Like I've driven in New England my whole life, but it was just, I, I was like, I got to talk to Stomp about this. <laughs> Tell your friends to slow down. <laughs> anyway, um, so I did the twins and Gilhead. So Stomp, I pulled together Jake, who's been on the show, and his friend Peter. Oh, Jakester? And, yeah, Jake hiked with me. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. A great guy. And then his friend, Peter, another great guy, he hiked with me. And then Steve was the guy that I met at the trailhead a couple of weeks ago, who's a listener that we ended up hiking the Carters together. I reached back out to him because he's doing his winter 4,000 footers too. So I was like, I'm, I'm doing this loop. And he was like, oh, I'll join. So it was, um, yeah, and I was trying to get my friend Mike, but he wasn't able to make it. So there was four of us that went and I wasn't sure about this hike because I had just, I've done this area before, but never in winter. So I had to do some research. So for listeners, this one's a little bit tricky from a parking perspective. Mm-hmm. You can park on, um, there's a, on route three, there's a, um, it's like a rest area or like cross country trails called Beaver Brook. And it's past the Skookum Chunk um, trailhead. And um, so you can park there and you can do like a I guess an out and back where you go to Galehead first up Gale River. So Beaverbrook connects to Gale River Trail, and then you can do an out and back. You can get Galehead and then get South Twin and North Twin and come back. It's it's a little bit shorter to actually do a loop. So what we did is we dropped a car at Beaverbrook, and then um, if you go up into Twin Mountain, there's a right-hand turn after Haystack Road, and you can park at this hotel called the Seven Dwarfs Hotel, and it's a ten dollar fee. You just leave it in your windshield, and then um, you walk up the road. You cut through this private drive that eventually connects you with Haystack Road, and then you walk up to the the Summer Trailhead. So it's a little bit of a logistical question. And Phil Philip Warner from Section Hiker, he actually had a great article that sort of broke down the logistics of how he did this hike. So I'll link that in the show notes. Um, but you can do it in either direction. Like if you do a car spot, like I would recommend actually starting at North Twin first, because in my opinion, it's the harder part of it because you got to do that big climb up North Twin and then the rest of it's 
kind of downhill. I mean, you get a little bit of a like climb up to Salt Twin, but we did it starting at Seven Dwarfs, walking up the road, and then we did North Twin first. So I, I don't know. Have you guys ever done this hike? Do you have an opinion on direction? We have done it many times, and I would recommend in the winter time to go up to Galehead first and come down North Twin. So this way here, you got the big water crossing. And mm-hmm. if there's any issues with that, it's at the end of your hiking and just scooting out of there. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Whereas if you do, if, you know, when you're staying on the north side, right, you'd stay on the north side of the river now. Even though that tr- trail meanders back and forth like three times, mm-hmm. you can just stay on one side and so just make one water crossing. And if you do happen to get west at the wet at the beginning of your hike, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, that makes sense. If... um. South Twin is icy at all. It, in my opinion, it's easier just to go up the ice and climb up that. We'd rather climb up steep. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So I guess I, so it sounds like you can go either direction. I mean, we, we absolutely. We got some, I think somebody had done that trail like a couple of days before or maybe a week before and said the water crossings were okay. So we looked at the temperature and we were like, I think we'll be okay. But we did exactly, so we did the opposite direction. We got the North Twin climb out of the way, but you're right. We stayed on the North side of the the river the entire way out. And then when you get to the Fire Wardens Trail, it's a little bit past that. That's when we crossed and it was already like kind of broken out. We were bare booted. Across the river, we had to do a little bit of back and forth to get across it. Once we got across the river, then um, you could see snow had come up like pretty significantly. So we switched over to snowshoes. We're in snowshoes the rest of the way. And then that, the climb up North Twin is a steady but a, a, a brisk climb. Um, Relentless. It's awesome. Oh, relentless. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's like two and a half miles or something or two miles. But when we got, um, we, we had to basically gear up when we got up to the top because it was starting to get windy. The drifts right below the summit, right before that first like uh, viewpoint, you know, you, we had like foot, foot tall drifts that we were busting through. Um, so we were kind of done breaking trail. We got to that first viewpoint right before you go to the North Twin Spur and happily, there was a group of four people that showed up behind us. And Peter, being the smart guy that he is, he's like, let's just relax. You know, we're in no rush. And we let those other, the, the other people like, go in front of us. So they broke trail from um, North Twin over to Salt Twin and down into Galehead. But we were kind of leapfrogging them a little bit um, back and forth. We saw them at Galehead um, as well. But the view in North, North Twin, that little outlook was awesome. We could see out to the residentials. And then it started just, the views all day were amazing. So we hit it on a good day for sure. Interestingly, there was a couple of, you know how sometimes in the winter, like you get these views that you wouldn't get in the summer because trees are grown in. I noticed like the spur between, on North North Twin Spur Trail, right at the bottom of the coal between North Twin and South Twin, you could actually bushwhack in and get a nice view out to the presidentials. And then um, the views on South Twin obviously are amazing. And then we got another view when we got to Galehead. We got another view when we climbed on top of Galehead. To the left of Galehead, you can go to this opening and you can actually see out into the Pemi that way. So it was like clear enough and you're high enough with the snow that you can get out and get some views that you wouldn't see in the summer. Why am I drawing a blank? Did you say Beaver Brook? 
Beaverbrook, yeah. So you know where Mount Cleveland is in that that little area? Oh it's, yeah, it's yeah, right yeah. by there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Yeah, but Salt Twin was good. We ended up going down Salt Twin, so I tried to butt sled a little bit, and it was a fail. It was just not not working. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that, I mean, it should be butt sledding season soon, right? With all the ice coming through now. Not yet. How about like not into the butt sliding? No, no. it's a dangerous, <laughs> dangerous thing for. Well, that's what Jake said. He was. I was trying it, and he was kind of like. He's like, it's just too much energy. He's like the the up and down. Too much energy. Um, I will say like we, so we climbed down Salt Twin, which was good because it was actually really well broken out. Um, So it was a lot better going down it than it, it is in the summer. Uh, but by the time we got to the cabin, we the Gilhead Hut, we were starving. So we ate on the porch. The sun hit you perfectly. So it was nice and warm. There was a couple of gray jays that were trying to steal our food and stuff, but we had a nice sort of 20 minute, 30 minute session at the hut, just kind of relaxing. And then we, we went out without our, our, um, our packs. So Peter stayed down at the port. So we just went out without packs, made no difference. It was still like a ridiculous climb. And that pack always seems heavier when you put it on afterwards, right? It was, yeah, it was. It's like that. It's like that West Bond spur. You put it down and go run out there to West Bond, and then you come back and you're like, "Geez, this thing! Somebody put rocks in it while I was over there." Yeah, yeah. The only yeah, difference right. that the no pack makes is that it just feels ridiculously heavy when you have to put it back on. Um, right. But no, it was a nice day stomp. I guess like the one thing I will say is like when we came out, like that last four miles of like, oh, the last three miles where it's just flat. And you're getting on the road, a gale head, and then we all had snowshoes on. It was just like this loud crunch, and you couldn't have a conversation with anybody. And it was it was a grind the last three miles or so. <laughs> hmm. This weekend, I'm thinking about hitting um, uh, probably the Franconia Ridge, and um, I don't I don't need snowshoes, right? Maybe, maybe not. Shame. I would carry them in the winter. Yeah, yeah. The problem has been, shame. there's been a lot, yeah, shame. <laughs> there's been a lot of post holes. So when it's, if you got the snowshoes, it does level that out some when it's just a little bit soft. So yeah, it, sure. But yeah, the post holes have been significant pretty, this pretty year. Early. Mm, yeah. It's a bummer. Hmm, maybe I'll think of a different location. <laughs> and a lot of wind, been a lot of wind up there too. Yeah. I've been thinking about doing, you know, a long traverse, but you know, whaleback always calls to me. So that that's probably not broken out. So I could snowshoe that for sure. But anyway, I'm thinking of doing something. Hmm. We'll see. Keep us updated, Stomp. I don't think I'm hiking this weekend, so you'll have to do something. Okay. Sounds good to me. Yeah, without the snowmobiling, it's like I, all of a sudden I have an open weekend for a change, which is nice. Um, we'll be talking about you guys soon, but have you done anything recently? Probably everything, right? The, gr- yeah, well, the grid week. last. Uh, we did the grid last week. Yeah, yeah. I did every uh, the Kinsman's yesterday. Nice, nice. And yourself, Tracy? Oh God, I don't even remember what we did last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> we go out every weekend, and it's. I tend to lose track after a while because it's like, okay, what do I need on the grid? Oh, we did Cabot. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we, and then. And then the day before. We did the Wildcats. Wildcats, Wildcats, right? Yeah, wow. with uh, Gwen. Oh, nice. Yeah, but because she went on. Okay, well, hold the stories. We'll uh, we'll dig into all your adventures for sure. <laughs> the big deep dive. Yeah, 
this is your moment. We're gonna we're gonna interview Chris in a little squirt. I'm gonna call you Tracy from now on. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. good. <laughs> so um, first, we have some uh, notable hikes. Um, notable listener hike of the week. Tag Slasher on your adventure to be considered for Slasher's hike of the week. No guarantees. You'll be plugged on the show. So we have Vicky takes a hike. Tackled Lafayette for four eighty five out of five seventy six for the grid. And then did Owl's Head. I assume it was on the same day based upon how it was written. Subi.hikes did Ethan's first winter hike up Jackson, followed by wildcat skiing. So that's cool. The Hunting Hippie. Cabot, 42 out of 48. John Calvin, 85, did Madison with a really cool looking pup. That would look like a nice day, nice weather. Nick hikes and plays guitar, tackled Jackson for 20 out of 48 for the winter 48. And then run, cast, run, um, did Gunstock over to the Belknap Mountains uh, Fire Tower, which was really cool looking. Lorelei <clears throat> Lantern Hill Hiking Trail, which I'm not too familiar with, but that looked like a nice, uh, smaller little adventure. And then Steve Summits did the quintessential Welt Dickey Loop. <laughs> yes. So tag us and we can uh, give you a little plug here on the podcast. Um, let's see. We do have a sponsor before we get rolling. And this is hey, do you guys, do you two like back sweat? <laughs> <laughs> no. no, and I certainly have a lot of it lately. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. Not only is it uncomfortable, sweat is a risk factor causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. Check out Valkluse's Cool Dry Backpack Airflow Frame, a backpack accessory that installs in your favorite pack, sizes 18 liters to 65 liters, and creates an airflow gap between you and your pack. Whether you're in hot or cold temps, even if you have a pack with a curved frame, the cool dry frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow. So visit vowclusegear.com to order a cool dry frame today. All right, now it's your time, right? The big moment. Chris and Tracy, so Stump, why don't you kick this off and introduce um, Chris and Tracy and then sort of give a background on how you get to know, got to know them. Yes, this is Captain Chris Wright and Tracy, Captain Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tracy, are you living up here full time now? I am, Awesome, yeah. so you guys are neighbors more or less. Are you officially in yeah. Thornton or what town is that? North Woodstock. North Woodstock, okay, so you're like maybe like five, ten minutes from me, which is really cool. Yeah, it was I think f- it took 20. Yeah. <laughs> right at 175. Oh, right at 175. Only because you can't speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, cool enough. Fair enough. That's fine. Um, I got to know you two indirectly through social media. And just for the listeners' sake, there are lots of Instagram um, and Facebook hiking groups out there. Um, Instagram's really great for all that stuff. So I started seeing initially, I want to say you two 
in the White Mountain Misfits group yeah. several years ago. And uh, for those that don't know, um, the White Mountain Misfits was just, you know, a group of a dozen plus hikers. And um, we've talked about this before with different guests like Eric Todd Sweet. Um, Steve. Steve, of course. Yeah, you bet. So what, what I like in that group to is like the Marvel Avengers. So it's like you have all these different superheroes in the movie. It's sort of like Infinity War. And then after several years of the White Mountain Misfit Marvel Avengers, you guys sort of all sort of disbanded and did your own thing and just had your own spinoff. So, and uh, yeah, so it's like all these sequels and spinoffs. And uh, so Chris and Tracy sort of had their own spinoffs. And I, and I, you know, Gradually, I started seeing Chris Moore in the neighborhood and then, you know, here and there. And um, and Tracy and I just recently got to know each other a little more through, you know, search and rescue volunteer work and whatnot. But uh, that's how I got to know you guys. And uh, they're part of the, the Hike Tribe family. So welcome to the uh, the tribe then. <laughs> <laughs> so Tracy, why don't you kick it off and introduce yourself, give a little bit of background on your sort of your, your hiking endeavors, how you got into outdoor activities, and then hold off on talking about how you and Chris met. We'll cover that at the end, but just to start off with, if you want to give a quick intro. Um, yeah, so I guess I've been playing in the woods since I was a kid. My grandparents um, used to bring me and my great-grandmothers who lived on at least six acres and everybody around her had, you know, 20 plus. So... We would be out in the woods, essentially what I know to be now is bushwhacking and just continuing with kind of roaming the whole woods. And then my parents would take us on small hikes. Um, I worked for a group home and we used to take them up uh, Chikora regularly, um, including in some not so favorable conditions. But... And then uh, in 2013, my cousin's husband was like, hey, you want to go do a hike? 4,000 footer? There's this list. And away I went, you know. So I think I've been hooked ever since on some of the bigger stuff. What do you think it was about that time in your life that it just it just clicked with you and that you started getting into it? Yeah, so it, I mean, I've always loved being out there and climbing. But uh, at that point in time, my parents were both sick, uh, so it was pretty much therapeutic. Uh, they both had, my father at that point had cancer, and my mother had cancer after. So I basically, uh, you know, hiked hiked my problems away, so to speak, um, but, you know, was able to share the experience with others and um, give myself a physical outlet. So I'm not real good at sitting still, so it definitely helped me a lot. Yeah, and was it um, was it a process to sort of learn the gear and the, the safety aspects of it, and finding out where to hike and making the decisions on where to go all the time, or did it come pretty easy yeah. for you? Oh no, it definitely did not come easy. Um, so I spent a lot of time relying at first on. I hiked with both of my cousins' husbands on each side of my family, and there was a lot of, I relied on them and their research. So I did minimal, because I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine, you know, just tell me what I need to bring and how many miles I'm doing. And Out with the guys. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, I'm not real good at playing with the girls always because they, they don't always want to get dirty. <laughs> Luckily, I've met a great group of women that are fine with getting dirty now. So, but, uh, <laughs> all right, awesome. don't, yeah, I know you want to fully comment on that, but <laughs> so the gear was definitely a hard thing. You know, I didn't have a ton of money to buy all the top gear. So that was definitely a process. Um, you know, going out was a learning lesson every time. So, you know, you, you learn each time. And as long as you make note of that and pay attention, then you keep banking and getting better gear as you go along. <laughs> totally. I hear you. Yeah. And did you, did you specifically say like, okay, I'm going to do the 4,000 footer list. I'm going to get into winter hiking. Like how did that develop for you? So after the first two, I uh, definitely said, yep, we're doing the list. Um, I took a, took a little bit of a break um, because my parents are going through treatment. Um, so I needed to be close to home. I didn't want to be out of cell phone range. So I had a little bit of a break. And after my mother passed in June, then I hit, hit the trails. Um, the guys I went out with were all about peak bagging. So it was definitely like, okay, let's hit a Cotta, um, Wildcat, Carta Mariah Traverse, just to train to do the Prezies. So they were all about how many, you know, peaks can we bag while we're out. So that was kind of how I spent my time. And then come winter, I didn't have quite enough gear. So I dialed it back a lot and then waited till I could kind of get a little bit of gear. And then one of my probably one of my first major winter hikes was Washington. And uh, Marshall had said to me, hey, you want to go up Lionhead? He goes, you need this, this, and this. I said, all right, I'll figure out how to get it. I got the gear and away I went. That's awesome. Yeah, so I was definitely hooked on all of that. You know, the the crazier the conditions, the more I enjoy it. What do you think it is? Were you always somebody that sort of got off on on sort of testing your, your limits and, and amping up your adrenaline or is that something that just came later in life for you? No, that was probably since I was kind of a teenager, <laughs> a little bit of a rebel streak. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of an outlet for that. Um, and that's what hanging out with the misfits always <laughs> aided in as well, <laughs> aiding in a little bit of that, you know, let's push the boundaries just a little bit. Got it. And you've been hiking in the whites for a long time now, so you're coming up on like 10 years or so. Do you find that like you've sort of mined everything in the whites out for all the interesting activities? Do you ever get bored? I know it sounds like if you're gritting right now, then it doesn't sound like getting bored or repetition is that big of an issue. But can you talk a little bit about your perspective on like, how do you keep it fresh? Um, I mean, every day you kind of go out is different, but... I can get a little bit bored doing the same trails, um, but I do think that, you know, given the conditions, we're out every weekend. So unless it's, you know, 100 below zero or it's pouring rain, um, we're going out. So, you know, the conditions kind of keep it interesting. Um, so every day might be a little bit different, but, I, you know, I'm definitely a fan of checking out different stuff going a different way uh if it's something i haven't seen before that's what kind of keeps me really interested and peaked uh there's and there's so many trails out there 
mm-hmm. not to mention bushwhacking. Mm. Hundred below zero. Give me a break. That I'm never not, no, happens. no. Yeah, <laughs> never. Just once. <laughs> now, will you go solo, Just Tracy, once. or do you typically go go in a group? Um, I've typically gone in a group. I have gone solo. Um, one of the things you know I had wanted to do a little while back was a big hike solo, so I did that. And but I, I like the shared experience, and not only that, Chris is retired, so. He's home. So, you know, we're able to go out uh, or, you know, we have a lot of friends that enjoy hiking. But if no one was available or whatever, I would have no problem going out by myself. And do you do there anything? There will come a time eventually here, Mike. There will come a time when she'll she'll have things that she needs to get for her list. And I'll have things that I have for my list and they may not match up together. So I, I see that could happen he just doesn't want to hike then, with me all the time yeah well that's true i mean it's it's not it's, true <laughs> uh no you're so you're gritting right now how far along are you do you keep track of that or are you just um doing i do doing? nope so i'm i think right around 75 76 percent and do you i always envision like I, I and i've run into a lot of gritters lately and um you know, I didn't run into a lady that's going through her second round. I think she's like, she's got to be in her like 70s or something. Um, but I've run into a lot of gritters recently. And I'm assuming like it's a small club. Like, do you know everyone that's gritting? Uh, no, much, not right? everyone. I know there's a Facebook page. Yeah. And so there's a lot of names in there I don't recognize. Um, but we run into a lot of gritters out there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for the most part, a lot of people that are out there on the weekends are either finishing up a winter or they're gritting. Uh, you know, some of the more popular trails, you know, they're, they're probably are people out just generally winter hiking. But, you know, if, if the weather's a little sketchy or it's one of those trails that, nah, it's not so fun. <laughs> it's probably another gritter. Yeah, yeah, and I guess for the listener's sake, That's I should probably funny. like define what the grid is because I don't want to assume. But basically, what the right. grid is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's essentially it's the four thousand footer list that you do the four thousand footer list every month of the year. So essentially, instead of doing forty eight hikes, you're doing five hundred and seventy six hikes. So you're doing you're going to Owl's Head every month out of the year and then you know every single 4000 footer so it takes like a lot of planning and you know ultimately you're not doing 48 individual hikes you're clustering them together and probably what 25 or so hikes each month and you don't have to do it in like one calendar year people do it over the course of like i don't know how long you're working on it like i'm 25 percent or so along and i've been hiking for like eight or nine years and i haven't even been trying to do the grid but like how long have you been working on it specifically Tracy I mean I think the last what two years probably will you say we've been really actively like planning out hikes around what we need for grid peaks mm-hmm. um, but vacations get in the way of that sometimes which is good <laughs> yeah. and I've always had this sort of, and I don't know for this for a fact but I've always had this thought that like April and May have to be like the most difficult months to deal with the grid because you're dealing with water crossings and um, just worse conditions. Deteriorating monorail. Yeah, exactly. Monorail. So (laughs) is that true or do you find that it's not? Absolutely. It it is. Okay. Yeah. It's a miserable time. Um, 
<laughs> I don't even know. Like the weather is beautiful. So like the the days are nice and sunny. So the temperature's perfect and you have no bugs like in April. Yeah. So that's great. But the condition of the monorail is just awful. Um, so, it you know, it's a toss up. But last spring, Mike, her and I went out to do a Zealand bond traverse and it was either March or April or May. And it was just miserable. You know, we were just punching through constantly, just constantly for 20 plus miles. Yeah. <laughs> but it was fun. <laughs> and how do you. Luckily, um, it was a beautiful day. I'm curious, Crystal, when you grid, when or do you essentially just like the months that you need to close out? The Zealands, and do you always do Zealand Bond Traverse? That's pretty much like your only option, right? Uh, I have have done the the twins with the Bonds too. Okay, and then um, what about hail? How do you deal with that? Is that always just a one off? Hail, it yeah. I I mean, it has been a one off. I would have loved to the last time we did a Bond Zealand to squeak hail in, but I just. And then it comes down to at the end, it's like, let's just get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll come back for that and do the 10 miles for oh, hail. No. <laughs> wow. So when do you think you'll be complete, oh, Tracy, based on like your, your planning? I'm hoping to get as much done this year as I feasibly can. But I know that a lot of my stuff, I'll have a few things for next year. Like I won't finish March. I have way too much going on. Uh, I have too many. And I... I not going out every day and I'm not taking a vacation just to do the grid. Um, I'm going to save my vacation for the times that we can go away. Uh, Cause it's more fun, <laughs> honestly. Um, but you know, it, I'll do as much as I can so that I can be done next year. Cause I, I don't like hiking to be a job. And sometimes it's a little bit what the grid feels like. Oh, I would assume so. Yeah. Is a job. Yeah. And, and you know, I like it to be fun. I go out there because I want to, not because I how have you, to. How do you follow up the grid? When you finish this, do you think about what you're going to do after the grid? I don't want to. It might be depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, yeah, I think it would be like, I don't know, coming off. Anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. Coming off a world tour like you two or something. Like, you know, what know. do you know? <laughs> I think I think that just gives me the freedom to go do whatever I want. Yeah, I, true. During the summer, you know, I can go rock climbing. I can go out in those wilderness sections that no one goes in. You know, I can do all of that stuff. Whereas when I'm doing the grid, I want to make sure I can snag that peak. Yeah. So it's, you know. What was the moment when you said to yourself, I'm going to do that? Was there a moment? The grid? Yeah. I I had been keeping track. Okay. So I knew kind of my dates. So because I just figured... I'm going to keep track of the dates because I'm not ever going to stop hiking. So it was a gradual transition into the idea? It was. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, all right, what do we do this weekend? All right, well, what do we need? Took her a little while to come out of the closet (laughs) and admit she was doing the grid. (laughs) All right, well, just changing topics for a second here. So why don't you give us the big reveal, Tracy, that I've been curious about. Give us the origin story about how you met this guy sitting next to you. How did you you and Chris meet? (laughs) The Did he kidnap the you? Marvel Comics. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Chris. Chris is hesitant about this one. So this I the confessional. The uh, person I knew <laughs> and was spending a fair amount of time with introduced me to the Misfits. 
Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, I've been hiking with the misfits and, um, after a bit of time, um, things had kind of transitioned in my life and I was single and spending a lot more time up North and, uh, just, I don't know. I think we had a lot of things in common and hit it off and, uh, I haven't, left his house matter of fact i moved all my stuff up there so <laughs> so stomp during this section when you edit this put in the love boat theme song okay <laughs> so that's good but i tell people this yeah. like i, I say that, and again i'm married i'm not going i'm not i don't know anything about this but it's been 25 years i've been with mrs mike but i would assume like if you're a single person and you're looking to meet somebody like hiking running getting in all these activities is a great way to meet somebody off of these I don't know what these dating sites are. I don't know how these young people meet people, but I feel like hiking and it's a good social activity. Join the hiking buddies, meet your new wife. That's how it will work. Well, you know, it was weird because I had done the online dating stuff. And and then when I was hiking, I was hiking with my cousin's husbands. So I was hiking with two married men. So I'm thinking, well, I'm never meeting anybody on the trail because they're never going to talk to me. So I'm going, all right, well, this is working out really well for me. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then I met the misfits and didn't care. I just had a great group of friends yeah. that I got to hike with every weekend and have a great time with. So, you know, they, you know, really kind of launched my, um, you know, hiking is, was my every weekend activity at that point. Um, and it was because I loved hiking, but I loved spending time with all of them. Uh, you know, became was, really a second family. They were always epic hikes. Yeah. yeah. You know, Gwen is a great planner. So she plans some pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. She sure does. Yeah. I, uh, her accounts on Instagram, like really impressive. Oh, yeah. You can see the planning that comes in with just by her summary of what she did that day. Or Oh, big, yeah. Big yeah. mileage girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we had a great time. You know, she'd plan a lot of bushwhacks and slides and stuff. So it was fun. Hmm. Great. All right. Cool. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Give a little bit of background, um, you know, sort of just your background in outdoor activities and um, talk a little bit about sort of like your, your life outside of hiking as well. Outside of hiking. Yep. Okay. I'm Chris. And. <laughs> I pretty much spent my whole life at sea. Started going to sea before I can remember. Uh, I made my first offshore fishing trip when I was 11 years old. I had to tell my little league coach that I wouldn't be there the next next week. <laughs> <laughs> I tell that story and people don't believe it, but it's true. Um, I went to a maritime academy, continued fishing uh, through those years, spent a lot of time um, traveling around on tankers and supply ships in the Merchant Marine and always went back to fishing because that, that was, it just wasn't as much time away from home as the, the ship would leave for three, four months. Whereas, uh, you know, the fishing industry was kind of like a two week home, uh, two week out, five day home. That was, that was my schedule all the time. Two weeks out, five days home. And uh, in my 20s, I had done some backpacking around Europe for a few months, did the dirt bag thing and um, married kids. 
and then, you know, things, things happen, life happens. And, um, I think I was probably about 53 or 54 and, um, I did a hike of Mount Washington with a friend who had it on her bucket list too. And we did that. And I can remember going up there and this guy said, Oh, are you guys going to do Jefferson too? And I'm like, what are you shitting me? Like, we're just going to try to do this one mountain. (laughs) I, I didn't know anything about peak bag and I didn't know anything about the 48. I had never heard anything about that. It was just on the bucket list to, uh, to do, um, Mount Washington. And so with this other person too, we continued to do when we did find out about the list, I, we still never knew about peak bagging. So we were doing all these mountains one at a time. And when I tell Tracy about that, we just say like how crazy it was, how many miles I probably did in my first round of the 48. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, the, and the first time we actually did a peak bag was the, the Franconia Ridge up the Fallen Waters down Old Bridal Path. That was the first time. I was like, oh, my God, we, we knocked off two. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we didn't complete those. We didn't complete the uh, the 48 together. And um, but anyhow, then. <laughs> Um, nomenclature, Chris. <laughs> nomenclature. <laughs> now, just going back to the fishing piece of it, I'm always curious. I'm fat. I watch like Wicked Tuna, and I'm always fascinated <laughs> by like that lifestyle. Like, so you're out at sea for you could be out for four or five days at a time, and then coming back to two resupply. weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. W- where were you? Uh, where, where were you fishing out of? Uh, New Bedford. New Bedford, Mass. Yeah. And were you? What kind of fish were you um, fishing? Uh, sea scallops. Sea scallops. Wow. And what's that lifestyle like? Is that like, is it as romanticized as I think it is, or is it just, it must be a hard It's a life. grind. It, it's a grind. Um, you, you don't get to sleep much. It's a physical job. And that's, you know, there's, there's no romanticism of it, of, you know, just going out there and, you know, I'm staring at the beautiful water and the scenery and, you know, the sunsets and it, it's a grind. Yeah. That gets old after like a day or two, I bet. But I, I always kind of scratch that itch. I go out once a year with the, on the, um, hard merchandise, one of the, one of those boats. And I do like haddock fishing for six hours and then yeah. that's about it. So, but I always like envision that life being, you know, sort of a great way. I would assume that it's good when you're, when you're catching fish and you're making money, but it's gotta be a grind. Yeah, definitely a grind. Yeah. So you picked up hiking relatively late in life then. Yep. And do you, um, can you talk a little bit about sort of your learning process to sort of pick it up? I know you talked a little bit about this, that you didn't know anything about the list, but how did you go about sort of getting a little bit more seasoned around hiking? Uh, pretty much just on my own, you know, and um, I, I've never been on Facebook I I've only been on Instagram the last I don't know few years not not that long, so I think it was just like maybe Google hike this, you know, and and most of my time off was during the winter time too, so I kind of like started right in other than Washington and a few of the hikes I I was mostly a winter hiker. What what happened in the fishing industry in '94? They really cut back on the days at sea. It was a conservation measure. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself with a lot more time off in the winter time. And my kids had gotten older and, you know, in high school and they didn't, they were playing sports and they didn't want to ski anymore with me. And so I just switched over to hiking. And and once I started doing that in the winter time, I, I found like that, that is my favorite season. 
winter hiking. Ditto. So great. Yeah, no, I, I like so it So sad too. to see it go. And yeah, I can't say it's my favorite. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I, I prefer being able to sit up and enjoy the peak when it's nice and warm and yeah. a little toasty. Yeah. Now, Chris, are you but, primarily like a day hiker or do you get into the backpacking at all? Uh, Tracy and I have been out before, uh, but mostly day hiking. Yeah. Is that just because you're local and it's just like, because I find the same thing, like I'll, I don't mind doing the backpacking once in a while, but it's just so much more, I guess it just makes more sense to just sort of get back to the camp in Maine and just take a nice hot shower. So I just, I like doing it occasionally, but it's not something that I, I, I chase after that much. I know we're only about 20 minutes from the Franconia Ridge too. And we've talked about, we, we both have bivy sacks and we both talked about, um, it'd be nice to just go up on a peak there and just spend the night up there. You know, any, any mountain, just get up there and it just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I think we've talked we about have, it for two summers now. <laughs> I mean, we have four season bivvies. We have all the equipment, everything to, to get up there and it just hasn't happened. <laughs> you know, maybe that hot meal is waiting at home in that big bed. And, <laughs> and a warm shower. And a warm shower. <laughs> yeah, on, a, on a similar note, it, do you guys roll your eyes when you have to drive to Mount Washington because it's so far away? Do you, have uh, you no, had we, that experience we used, yet? No, we, we're used to it, you know, just going yeah. on the other side of the state and, you know, some she she has just started off and like you know I'll drive home. I'm oh, like, so yeah, we're yeah, gonna yeah. split driving duty. That's funny because Mrs. <laughs> yeah. Stomp and I are like, oh my god, that's like a lifetime away to go over there. Well, the wildcats are wildcats really... isolation. Anything oh, yeah. over down yeah. on sixteen, over totally. There. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm that's the funny. opposite because I'm like over on the Freiburg side. So for me to come over to like Kinsman's is like that. Might as well be going to like California. Right. Oh. <laughs> When I, before I moved up here, I was in Rochester, New Hampshire. And so for me to go over to like Moose was a ridiculous drive. It was oh, yeah. almost as far as going to Cabot pretty much. And I was like, this is awful. But now I, I think now just you get used to driving every weekend. So you, that's what you do. Right. <laughs> yeah. And for listeners that aren't local to New Hampshire, like anytime you got to go east or west, east to west in New Hampshire, it's just, it's a project. Not- so. It's not convenient. Yeah. And then, so Chris, from your perspective, so um, as far as pace goes, you and Tracy pretty much in sync as far as like pace and <laughs> how does that work? We we definitely hike well together. Okay. So. We hike well, but, um, you know, there's about a foot difference between the two of us. So just by nature of that, uh, you know, He's, he's, he's way double ahead. the pace. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we hike together, though. I do not run up the trail. And, no, no, no we we've always together. been good. Because even when he was out to sea, like summer was harder for him to hike. And I was kind of getting in a groove during summer. Uh, you know, so you just you learn how to hike well together. You know, you adjust your own. This, this pace. took a little while, though, Mike. I would come in from sea, I'd usually be dehydrated. Uh, no sleep and come up here and she just, you know, full of energy now because I've been off for a couple of weeks and she she's going to show me who's boss and run up the trail. That's not what would happen. <laughs> we would go out with the misfits and I'd still be sucking air. Well, that crew's got some serious firepower. So that is a, yeah. that's a, that's a tough crew to want to keep up with. But, um, and I always had that anxiety, like I'm a solo hiker, but even this weekend, like I was like, okay, you know, my biggest fear, honestly, is like getting in a situation where I'm the slow person because I'm not 
really used to that, but I found that like I've been hiking with Steve a couple times now. He's a new friend I met. And then like Jake and Peter, like we had no issues whatsoever with pace. Like everybody was, I was completely comfortable in the zone I was in. And I think everybody else was as well. So I think a lot of times, like if you're hiking and you're nervous about joining people, like my experience so far has been that like most people will adjust their pace to, you'll find a way in a group of, a group of people that hike, especially if they've hiked a lot, they, they know how to sort of match up. Oh, I, I would totally agree. And I've, I've had people say to me, oh, well, you know, I can't go out with you. I'm like, look, if if you want to go out with me and I'm like, I'm asking you to come, it's because I want you to come. We, I don't care whether you're faster or I'm fast. It just, just doesn't matter. We're out there to share the trail together and spend some time together. So, you know, I think when people ask you to go or they're willing to go with you, that's just what you do for the day. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, so yeah, you guys got a ton of experience in the whites. I did want to take a little bit of time to talk about some of your adventures outside of the white mountains in New Hampshire. Cause I think the listeners are always interested in this. And I think people sort of plan trips outside of the, the Northeast. So you have been, you've both been in a lot of different locations and areas, but and I want to sort of break down rapidly sort of each of those locations. But to just to start off with, when you train these, when you plan these trips to South America or Europe or wherever you're going, like which one of you is the planner and which one sort of just shows up with their suitcase? Tr- Tracy is. Tracy's the, she does the uh, planning. So, well, that, that's kind of transitioned a little bit now that he's retired too, because he's got a little bit more time during the day. Um so we kind of split the planning a little bit. Um, I, th- I, I make the suggestion on where to go and show her, you know, what do you think about this or something. But when it comes down to it, she's the computer person. Like, I can't stand that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if once it comes to, he hates the research part. So he'll book the flights. <laughs> and in terms of that, no. I, yeah, I, the rest of it kind of. I get frustrated. Yeah. He, he's aggravated. But, you know, the. When we've gone to Ecuador, um, we've actually had, um, our guide has planned it. So we haven't, we've been able to give a little bit of input as to what we want, but he's taking care of all the planning. So the trips to Ecuador have been great and really easy. So what happened with that, Mike, was the first year that we went down there, um, it looked like a really interesting trip. So we booked it through a tour company. And uh, we didn't achieve our goal of climbing this uh, uh, Mount Chimborazo, which was above 20,000 feet. Okay. So, and it was due to weather. And so um, as as we were potting ways with the guide, I asked him, you know, do people hire you, just you? He said, oh, absolutely, all the time. So I, we took information um, and we contacted him again the next year. So he knew all the hikes that we had done. He knew our pace. Um, uh, you know, these, uh, these are the mountains that you use for acclimatization too. He, he knew what we had done to just bring us to different mountains. And so he set that up and, you know, it just worked out. It worked out really well. And then, you know, we used them again the third year too. Um, just, he kept our itinerary from the previous two years. Got it. So you've been, so we're talking about Ecuador here. So you've been three times. So essentially what you're saying is you went through a tour company in the beginning, you, you, you hooked up with a guide and then from there you were able to just sort of keep that relationship going and they got to know sort of your, your preferences. 
we, yep. do you, so you fly out of Boston into Ecuador. Um, how far of a, like a trip is it from where you're hiking to, from the airport when you fly in Ecuador? Well, all shitty roads lead to good trails. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would guess. Uh, how long does it take you to get get out of the airport awesome. to get to where you're going? It could be it could be like five hours. Okay. So what we what we would always do with Ecuador though, or most places that we go to, we always try to find the highest accommodations that we can. So in Ecuador, uh, flying into Quito, you're at nine thousand feet. So right away, you know, our bodies are starting yep. and we always try to, we always try to ar- arrive a few days ahead of time. And there is one, um, like a chill, a gondola in the city that you can take from 9,000 up to 13,500. Okay. So you're already getting a head start on the acclimatization, just, just taking this ride. So we would go up this mountain and then we would say, all right, listen, we're going to go, you know, we're going to climb another thousand feet up, maybe 1500 feet. And ju- just to let our bodies you know, start getting used to the altitude. But, and we've done that three times. So was, funny story though, about that particular mountain, we've gone up there three times. We have not summited that mountain yet <laughs> for a very a variety of reasons due to, you know, we've said, okay, that's good enough. One time we did it at the end as well. So we were fully acclimatized. And we're like, all right, if it rains or the conditions are really crappy, we're not going to continue. Sure is not. We, we were about, I don't know, maybe maybe 100 meters from oh, the summit. Oh, something ridiculous. I mean, we were so close and, and it started raining. And, you know, when it comes down, it comes down in the tropics. So we, we just turned around and we started running back. <laughs> so we've been up there so many times and used this mountain. We've never summited it. And then with the... With the um with the guide that you're with, is he with you the whole time? No, no, no that was without the guide. We we never took, uh, were with the guide on this particular okay. mountain. So he just sent you off and said like, okay, you can wow. take the gondola up and then you're going to, you're going to be. No, 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 we always did that before we even met him. Oh, okay. I had a, I had a question about the gondola. Yeah. Was that a suggested trick or did you come up with that idea? No, we, we came up with it ourselves. We That's just a found brilliant out. idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's amazing. First time you've heard of something like that. Yeah, so just while researching like um, stuff to do. Things to do around the city. I'm like, oh my God, we can take this gondola up to 13 yeah. and puke. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We got up there the first time and, you know, he's walking and he does much better at altitude than I do. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, I think. <laughs> it's really amazing. You know, if you have not experienced that, it's a really, but we know, um, when you go to different places and you're at altitude, we just know what to expect. I had one question about the acclimatization. You said you were fully acclimatized, mm-hmm. so you were used to 13, and then oh, we had been up to we had been up to so 20 already. It. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That that was my question. Okay, yep. yeah, interesting. And Tracy, I'm curious trip. because yeah. um, my wow. wife is a little bit of a high maintenance traveler, so. Uh, hopefully she's not going to listen to this, but like, is there any opportunity? Oh, for here you? we go. This is going to be interesting now. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is there any opportunity for you to sort of relax by the pool, get the massage, get your nails done, any of that stuff going on? Or is it completely like dirt under the fingernails and you're, you're sleeping in a tent the whole time? All right. So I, I'm actually, I don't think I'm a high maintenance girl and I don't think I'm a high maintenance I'm an easy travel companion Blink twice Chris if she's lying I know because I'm waiting for a sarcastic I'm not saying a word (laughs) good job so but uh the first time we went down there like we had been together but you know 
four months or so. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm thinking I'm spending two weeks not showering in intense. That's not what happened. We had fabulous accommodations. Um, we stayed in some huts, you know, so, but now I didn't, I'm okay with not relaxing by the pool. Now, we just went to St. Martin. I was fine with sitting at the beach yeah. and swimming. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> okay, Mike, listen, when, when you only can carry so many pounds, and a lot of this is winter, you know, your, your ice axe, everything, all your gear, and, you know, you, you stop breaking it all down, and, you know, inside of her bag, she's sneaking in the hairdryer. <laughs> You, you know, and and, you, and down That's there awesome. too, you, you know the you need the electric, uh, you know, converter. Yep. To plug in, you know, because they have a different uh, outlet down there too. So I'm. <clears throat> I, I am still a girl. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, well, Tracy, I'll I'll message you about Saint Martin later. We'll have to plan our trip there. Yeah. I mean, in Ecuador, it sounds like you made a connection, but how does the, how do they play into it? Like, do you just sort of agree to meet them on like what le, once you've gone above a certain amount of altitude or you're going on a certain mountain, they're with you the whole time, or do they mostly just say, you know, I'm going to be at base camp and you guys go off on your own and you're you'll be okay? No, 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 definitely, definitely have to. You know, we hiked with him, so what would happen is we would book him for let's say ten days. We would arrive there a few days early. And then we would, uh, before he picked us up, so he's he's driving us every place. So he would pick us up and he had, you know, we already knew what the itinerary was going to be. And then typically he would be dropping us off at the end of our time with him. And we would, you know, usually hang around for a few more days too. So in, in Ecuador, a lot of the hikes are on either a reserve or private property. Um, one of the hikes we actually went on was behind a locked gate on private property. So he had to have the key from who knows, which he didn't have when we got there. So we ended up having to drive around to people's houses to get this key. Um, But that actually turned out to be one of the most incredible hikes because I got to, um, we got to rock climb and and I I love to rock climb. So at the summit was at about a little over 16. 16, yeah. Just like 20 feet below the summit um, was where you topped out from this rock climb. Yeah, but it was a, it was a 65, 70 foot rock right. climb. So, and I had never done this before either, this rock climb. Oh, wow. And you know, she had. And she's like, oh, this is going to be great. Oh, <laughs> and, so, and you, but you had to do this climb to get actually to get, get the to summit. the summit. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. I'm like dragging up there and I'm going, oh, you know, I'm so tired, breathing heavy. I hit that and I was like, yes. I had like had a big shot of adrenaline. I'm like, yeah, this is it. So, and I knew because from the top of that rock climb to where the summit was, was, I don't know, 10, 20 feet at best, you know, so you had to do it. And I was so, I was so pumped. There was a few other people there. So the guide gets up there. He, he free climbs it up. And he sets up a belay up top and, you know, he's already got Tracy and I, we're already on a rope. Uh, We're spaced, I don't know, maybe 15 feet apart on this one rope. So we're going to climb tandem. And, you know, and I'm telling Tracy, I'm like, listen, you cannot take off because you're just going to be pulling me. I'm, I'm on the back end of this Goodness. right here, too. I'm like, slow down, slow down. So, and then you've done, so you've done three trips to Ecuador, and then you've also done Patagonia, which is sort of a mix between Argentina and Chile. How many, how many trips to that area have you done? 
Uh, I, I did one. You did one. Yeah. Okay. And did you, you obviously used a guide for that. Was that a, was that just you or did you go with a group of friends? No, I went with a friend, but that, that was more of a tour. Okay. That wasn't really, um, it, it was day hiking and being driven around to different accommodations. It wasn't, it, it, it was nothing, it wasn't strenuous. Okay. Yeah, that was that was more of a scenery, it, beautiful down there. That was more of like a, I, w- I want to say like a scenic tour. It was, you know, stunning scenery and, and day hiking. Okay. And then uh, the other thing on your list here is Africa. So you, did you both, did you climb Kilimanjaro together? No. Uh, I, I had not. I don't think I, I don't think we met. We might have met, but we weren't together. Yeah. No, I, I went with um Steve and Eric. Oh, so you were on oh, that trip the too. the infamous. The three of us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Listeners don't know about this should go back into the archives because it's an incredible story. Look at the uh, Steve Mason uh, and Eric Todd Sweet episodes. They're two separate episodes, but it's a great story. Yeah. So yeah. we've, we need your take on that whole episode, <laughs> if you don't mind. I was probably the only one that was aware of what was going on. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, you know, Eric, you know, Eric was in La La Land. This, so this is on Summit Day and Eric was in La La Land and Steve wasn't, he, he wasn't feeling well at all. And yeah. I knew because I've hiked with Steve many, many times and he was right in front of me and I'm, you're just following the person's feet in front of you, you know, with the headlamp on and I just knew he was off. There was no doubt in my mind he was off. And so knowing that the guides would send anybody down if they if they thought you were really messed up, they would, he, he would have been down. So we were just trying to shield him. And I'm like, Eric, I'm like, do you have any more? Uh, I forgot what it was we were using. This is an altitude. Um, Diamox? Diamox. Yeah, Diamox. I'm like, Eric, I'm like, you got any Diamox? He's like, hey, yeah, right here. I'm like, why? He's like, why? You not feeling good? I'm like, no, look at Steve. He's messed up. His eyes are rolling. He's getting ready to throw up here. He wants to pass out. Oh, my God. So we're just kind of shouldering, you know, keep, keeping him shielded from the guides and everything. And, you know, but one thing about that, too, is when we did hit the summit and they let us go down on a, they they knew that the three of us were fast and uh, a one of the guides came with us and the faster you run down all these whatever issues you have just disappear the Hmm. quicker you get down interesting unlike the bends right yeah 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 correct right interesting yeah which that was the difference with uh ecuador with us with one guide um I mean, he wasn't testing our oxygen, thank God, because I'm not sure I would have had enough to make it to the, you know, <laughs> summit. Uh, you know, they, it was a, it was a lot of work for me to get up over 20, uh, just, and it was cold that time. You know, the, the guide was kind of <laughs> like, all right. And, and I wasn't going to accept that we were turning around there, you know, there were other people turning around. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So, so what happens too at like a higher altitude like that? So that was the first time we had climbed over 20,000 feet and, um, you know, obviously very cold up there and, uh, we cannot move fast enough to generate body heat. So, which is why you see all the guys on Everest in the one piece, the onesies, you know, that are, that are the puffy suits, down suits, because they are going to move slow. So we, we were yeah. we were running into that. I have never had as much gear and clothes on as that day, and I needed every piece of it. 
Interesting. So our assumption, so it's even as cold as it gets, like if you went back to like two weekends ago, as cold as it gets, we can still generate some heat because we're able to move fast enough because oxygen's not an issue. But what you're saying basically is because oxygen is an issue, you can't move fast and fast enough, even when you're going uphill to generate enough heat to keep you warm. Correct. Interesting. Correct. Yeah. The, the day on Chimborazo well, night, morning, whatever you want to call it. Um, those two hours before sunrise were real, were definitely a, a really a huge challenge for me. And I was freezing mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, Chris is having to rub my quads because I, my legs were that cold. Mm-hmm. I've never been that cold here. Yeah. Um, I couldn't put enough clothing on to keep that part of my body warm. So since then I've, I've bought and he's bought me enough stuff that I could have sat out there for a while, you know, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have any problems so that when we do that again, it won't be an issue or here. Um, Thicker gauge down. Yeah. yeah. They have knickers, nice knickers for girls. Yeah. And they just zip right on. Huh. Yeah. It, you know, so, and cool. I had the heat shield mm-hmm. gear on. Well, I wasn't moving fast enough for it to be warm. Hmm. Yeah. So it was definitely, my core was warm, but my legs were not. Yeah. Makes for a tough day. Yeah. 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 All right. And then um, you've been to Scotland. Do you want to talk a little bit about Scotland? Yeah. Scotland was pretty cool. Um, aside from the pouring rain. Uh, <laughs> I heard you guys saw a sticker somewhere from yeah. the podcast. Oh, we did. Oh, yeah. We, that's right. It was up on Ben Nevis. Yeah. <laughs> Those Scots just love the podcast. They do. We, we, you know, we couldn't believe it. <laughs> I'm like, wow, Tracy, check this out. <laughs> sticker over here. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so the, the West Highland Way uh, is a 96-mile Point to point. Point to point through hike. And it ended up being more than that because you walk to um, your accommodations. Uh, So you can choose how many days the hike is in. And we chose nine nights, 10 days, I think. And they'll actually bring your bag. So all you have to hike with is a day pack, Hmm. which is huge, you know, because I'm not hauling all my gear to sleep she's not gonna have to haul her uh, hairdryer i'm not (laughs) (laughs) i I probably would have gotten electrocuted though with the amount of rain we had (laughs) um so but point to point you know so the days really were were relatively easy i don't think we ever had more than like 1200 feet of gain in a day uh, the scenery was beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's special. Yeah. And the people were incredible. Every place we went. But thank God we bought, oh, Chris brought umbrellas. We had hands <laughs> Ultra light. Ultra light, hands free umbrellas. Check it out. Huh. Oh, hands my free, God. Ultra light. That's funny. And if you go back, you might even, like, if you looked at some of our posts, you should be able to see them game changer because we weren't like heavy with all the weight of the water you know you get in and your stuff is wet but it's not as soaked as if the backpack was collecting all that water you could take pictures no problem right i was able to take my hands out take pictures still take video of the 
pouring rain. Yeah, and those umbrellas <laughs> are generally sort of frowned upon in the White Mountains. And I think the reason is, is that we're, in, we're below tree line and it's just logistically can be a pain in the neck if you're in a tight trail. Yes. But I would assume in Scotland, like you don't really have tree line to deal with, right? You're hiking more in open it, it was, area. It was, it was really occasional that that would happen. And Tracy and I were saying that we said we could never use these at home. You know, the just because of the width of the actual umbrella. Mm-hmm. We said we could never use these at home, but there it was great. And then how do they That's mount? How, how do they mount hands-free? They mount on your shoulder or how does that work? No. So on the, the very bottom of the shaft has a loop that you would pass your belt through. Now on the top of your shoulder pads, they give you a clip for each side. So depending on if you wanted to put your shoulder, uh, the umbrella on your left shoulder or your right shoulder, you just unclip it out of there and switch it over to the other side if the wind shifted or if you turned around. So what he's describing, Mike, is a parachute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can picture you guys flying off into nowhere land. I, well, you know, and I and thought and maybe and I was going to end up like Piglet, you know, and just hold <laughs> on to the umbrella. You know, and, wow. the, and the shaft was adjustable too that you could bring it down if it started getting windy and just have it right over your head down low instead of like a high... A high umbrella? Because, I mean, it was windy, too. Huh. That's a riot. It, it really was a game changer out there. It really was. Yeah. I, I've got <laughs> Tracy holding on to your foot. <laughs> Poppins. Yeah. Right. Right. And then you've I also... I was singing out there, too. <laughs> and then you've also been out to Colorado. Um, so, Chris, I want you to sort of weigh in on this question. You know, we anytime we get these West Coast people, they're always like, oh, you and your small mountains in New Hampshire. Can you just sort of weigh in on the question? Like, is the West Coast more like difficult and epic than New Hampshire or are they equally challenging? I, I would say they're equally challenging and here's the similarities and differences. For, for the most part, all the gain... The uh, elevation gain is roughly the same, yep. 3,000 feet, 4,000 feet, whatever, and, and some less than that, too. Where I think the big difference is if you drove, just say you went up Franconia Notch and you took all the trees off of Flume, Liberty, Lincoln, Lafayette, if you just took all those trees off of there, you would have the same scenery. Interesting. You know, you would have the same scenery in in their hiking for what we saw. We had climbed nine, nine fourteen is in two weeks. Nine. Yeah. yeah nine. And from, from what we saw there, the, the trails were not difficult. I mean, they, they were dirt, you know, switchback, a lot of switchbacks, um, no, no scrambling that that what we had been on. Now, they do have there are a few out there that do have um you know some serious scrambles yeah because they have different classes right so we chose not to do you know the higher classes that would be more like a rock climb Mm -hmm. we didn't bring the gear um and the wind was an issue too while we were out oh yeah because we did have somebody i think he said capital peak he was willing to come and you know guide us on that too but the the wind had never gone lower than 35 miles an hour no yeah. No, there was one windy trip. Yeah, there was one on Sherman. It had a little bit of a cull, and I kept getting blown over. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was getting aggravated because I'm like, the peak is like right there. I can see it. <laughs> so these this group, um, this super fun people, a group of Mongolians went up a, 
ahead of us. And I'm like, oh, she's not very big. I can do that. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm not. So I got knocked down again and he gets next to me and he goes, crab crawl it. So I'm crab crawling across this spot so that I can get over to the peak. Because once you got to the peak, it wasn't bad. And not, uh, all, not, not just the peak either. It was maybe about like a 50 foot area where the wind was just whipping over. Oh, yeah. Once you cleared that wind. area, you were fine. Yeah. Well, but it was I mean, it was fun. You know, and we did meet some interesting people while we were out there as well. And also while we were out there too, um, Tracy looked for the highest accommodations that we could find. Yeah. So I think we were always staying at like around 10,000 feet. And, you know, carrying out, the, as soon as we arrived there too, and we knew we were on the second floor of this place, it was all Airbnb that we stayed in. Okay. So we were, we were taking our bags up to the second floor and I'm like, all right, let's get this crap up there and, you know, like just relax. And, you know, one duffel bag in each hand and you're going up there to the second floor and like really quickly out of breath, like, just oh. out of breath. And, and, you know, we just knew that like, all right, this is going to take a we're couple days. We're going to be doomed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like you just, a couple days. just like you ran a 5K uphill completely. <laughs> Now, what's next for your travels? What do you do? You have any plans to go back to any of the places you've been to? Do you have any plans for new places that you want to visit? I'm not sure I'm going to be alive long enough to satisfy Tracy's bucket list. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep getting a bigger and bigger bucket list, but I do think we're going to go back to the Canadian Rockies. Okay. Um, we have friends that are going out there. Um, Gavin is doing the AT, or he says he's attempting, not doing. Hopefully he's doing. Um, and then they're That's driving. Interesting. That's yeah. an interesting comment. Well, you know, he doesn't want to say it before it's done. Yeah, so, that is interesting. Um, mm. But he's starting the AT and then he's going to drive, him and his wife are driving across country. So we're hoping to meet them back up in Canada around somewhere between Banff and Jasper up yeah. on that Icefield Parkway and maybe get a little bit more hiking in. Uh, it's uh, that was probably one of the most beautiful places we have ever been was the Canadian Rockies. I, I bet. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. It's breathtaking at every turn. It's like mm-hmm. the mountain is right there and they're huge and they're, you know, the, the tops are all snow covered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, that was definitely, uh, that was an, that was an incredible experience and Athabasca was, uh, an amazing peak as well. There's another glaciated peak. So mm. as much as I don't like winter, I love the glaciated peaks. Mm. They're, they're a challenge, a challenge, but they're incredible. They're so beautiful. Any interest to get out to like Nepal? Well, we had a trip. Yeah, <laughs> we had, we, we, had, a, we had a trip booked. Um, was it two years ago? A year? No, a year, a little more than a year ago. And then, you know, with the COVID and everything, and then I think that's when you ended up with a detached I, retina. I had a detached retina, so I hmm. couldn't be at any altitude. Um, I had to have a... She couldn't drive across the Kank. She couldn't drive into uh, Franconia Notch. So that was actually when he... It was he, too high. And yeah. I couldn't do the hike because I was we're still recovering from my detached retina. Wow. Um, you couldn't, I couldn't do any altitude, and that was even a little bit of a struggle to get there. So um, Nepal... Had to be on hold. Mira Peak was... Yeah, we, we had plans on climbing Mira Peak out there. Hmm. 
There's yeah. a joke in there somewhere. Captain no, no, no. Morgan and uh, did you wear a patch for a while? I know, or? a little pirate thing. I know, I did. So, you know, we, there was a lot of jokes because I, I had, I look like I had, I look like I had taken a beating. You so. know, if you know anything about the recovery for a detached retina too, you have to like look down, right? Because that air, air bubble gas bubble that they inject into your eye and you have to keep it at the back correct lifting and everything yeah. right so so she always had to look down like we had to put the tv on the floor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she could look down at the tv because you can't look up you have to keep her chin to her chest oh yeah so i definitely had this pirate thing going at first i had all this tape and you know so we got the captain and the pirate or whatever i don't know that's that's interesting wow oh Sheesh. Yeah, how'd you get that injury? <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> uh, I, I don't. We have thoughts. Yeah, I, huh. I mean, it, I... Chris making you carry his pack or something he, like he that? He is, you know, he's so abusive. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't know. I, no. after a couple, co- after my second COVID shot, I had, um, within a couple months, I had the detached retina, hmm. um, I had fallen and broken my thumb coming down Owl's head. I, I have no idea. Yeah. They didn't know. Um, hmm. So, yeah. It, Interesting. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, a little bit more learning than I wanted to about yeah. that. Topic. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned search and rescue. Can, without going into detail, yeah. um, can you tell us briefly about your experience with that so far and a little bit about the search and rescue community and just what you've experienced? Go ahead. I've really enjoyed it. Um, just meeting new people. And I just felt I had a bit to offer too, as far as um, using navigation. If you gave us a point Latin long, you know, using uh, GPS or anything, I just knew that I had something to offer the team that I've been using GPS since the start of it on the boat. So I just felt that. Oh yeah. I, I was an asset for that. Yeah. And I had planned when I moved up here full time to get on the team as well. And, it's it's been a fabulous experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed being a part of this team. Uh, it's uh, we hike all the time, and to know that I still can have enough and more than enough in the reserve to go out and still do that. Yeah. Um, I think just speaks volumes to the community of people that I'm in. So just a couple, a a couple quick ones on that too. Tracy and I had just gotten done doing a winter Zealand bond traverse. And uh, I turned my phone on because I was keeping an airplane mode when we were hiking and I turned it on and the siren was going off. Tracy had already put in her application for the team, (laughs) but had not gone on her qualifying hike. So I said, Tracy, I said, you know, here's a call right here. Now we had just done 22, 23 miles, whatever it was. I said, you know, here's a call right here. Do you want to go? She's like, yeah. I said, okay, let's go. We're going to head over to Pierce and over between Pierce and Eisenhower. So we made it up to Pierce and, you know, help with a help with a carry down. And she had the patient's backpack on too, in addition to going on, on the litter. 
and I think there was another one too. We so you actually did two. You were involved with two rescues before you actually yeah, did your qualifying, right, yeah. qualifying hike too. Hardcore. No, it's super cool. That's that's fantastic. Oh, one one more story though. So so when when you joined, careful, when, we got a lot no, of stories. It's great. That's what I was looking for. So when you when you joined the team, they assigned you um, you know a mentor, and Stomp happened to be my mentor. So we show up one time, I think it was the very first mission I got called out on, and it was at Garfield. And 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 since I lived close, I was there close, and he had beat me there. So typically the first person would take off, and they would head up to be with the patient. The next two split the litter and carry that up. I know where this is so, going. So, so Stomp says, he hey, he says, I'm headed up right now. He says, you and so-and-so grab the litter. Now, I, I had I had just got done hiking. I think it was Mariah. I had just done 10 miles. I just got done with the hike. And so I, I had never put the litter on before. This is my first rescue. So the guy, you know, one of the, one of the uh, guys, part of the team there, he's rigging up my backpack inside of the litter. I got the litter on and I'm like, all right, off we go. When I'm tall and, you know, this litter hangs way over your head and I'm hitting into trees and crashing. And so the patient, I believe, was up around like 3,500. It was yeah. above 3,000 feet. Yeah. And so I'm going along and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I'm going to end up in this litter pretty soon. <laughs> I said, but I said, Stomp's going to be up there already. He knows I have half of this litter and I cannot pass this thing off to anybody else. So members of the team, they're coming along. They're like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good, man. Like, We're going up there. And uh, and I remember Dan Bagan, he's like, hey, Chris, he's like, anytime you want to take that. And I got my altimeter on my watch. and I'm looking at it. I'm like, We're at 29 right now. I'm like, I got about 600 more feet up. I'm like, I can do this right here. And so I just remember showing up and like Stomp wasn't even aware who carried up the other half of that litter or even me like I could have passed that thing off but you know just one of those things it's like I gotta get it up there he's gonna be waiting for me it's silly it's so funny yeah 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 we didn't tell you that we haze you like like, can you carry everything up (laughs) that's great apparently that's the first one I'm you know carrying the litter and carrying the patient's backpack (laughs) oh yeah so many stories well we're glad to have you great assets for sure we have one sponsor, and this is CS Instant Coffee. Zero waste instant coffee that comes in compostable packets. Perfect for the trail and home. Each packet makes about 20 ounces of coffee, so you can take one of them on an overnight trip, and it makes two pretty good-sized cups of coffee. Put it in your backpack, find some hot water, and you're good to go. Learn more by going to our show notes or Google CS Instant Coffee at www.csinstant.coffee.
researchers claim this isn't really search and rescue news, but it's noteworthy. Researchers claim black bear population growth is uh, directly correlates to Bigfoot sightings. So essentially, if you live in an area <laughs> where there's a lot of black bears, if that population grows, then the black bear, if there's a lot of black bears, then you'll see a lot of Bigfoot sightings, apparently. I feel like New Hampshire doesn't have a lot of Bigfoot sightings, though, so I don't know how true that is. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, wait till we, next weekend now that you brought that yeah, up. Yeah, they're all waking up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, on trail, I've seen a handful of bears, and some of them are the size of a black lab, and others are the size of a refrigerator. Mm. Uh, I guess that would be part of the, the factoring. Yeah, so I guess keep that in mind. If, if you see, if it's a big black bear season, maybe you'll see more Sasquatch. Other article that I pulled here, Stomp, is uh, Mike Keen had sent this over to me as well, but I saw this floating around the internet. There's a there's a there's a phenomena known as third man factors. So this is situations where you might have like two or three people that are like getting lost. I think the original the, this was originally written about um, Shackleton in Antarctica. Um, basically, if you mm-hmm. like one or two people are sort of desperately fighting for life, a third man factor is when when somebody appears to be with you, that sort of gives you the motivation to keep going in order to save your life. And then you sort of compare notes and say like, oh yeah, do you remember that person with us that sort of urged us to move forward? And then it turns out that like that person didn't actually exist, but it's like a, it's basically a ghost to save your life. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I have heard of something similar ringing a bell around Hmm. that kind of thing. Guardian angel. Kind of. Yeah, let's stomp. Like me and you, when we hike together, we have this like, we pretend that there's this guy, Jimmy Chaga, with us, but he's never actually with us. So he's our third man. (laughs) You just have his voice in your head. He's not a real person. All right. Um, But anyway, moving on to some national news here, stomp. So another one on Mont Baldy. So um, this is another incident where a hiker dies after a 700-foot fall on Mount Baldy. So I don't know what's going on on this mountain, but it seems like it's it's just bad news. It's in the news every week. Yeah, You'd think every week. that people would just stay off that mountain at this point. <clears throat> yeah, this this story was what, like a 700-foot slide or something of that nature? 700 foot. So I don't know if it was the same one where the influencer lady fell or if it was another one, uh, but rescuers rushed to this injured woman on... Uh, January 8th, after she had fallen down um, again. So it's just, you know, additionally, people just seem to be, you know, really having issues in this mountain here. Yeah, I do. Yeah, this is a new one, actually. But yeah, well, we'll be hearing more about it, I'm sure. There was talk about trying to institute a uh, permitting process. So that's probably in the works at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. And I don't know if they've ever found that actor that went missing either. I haven't seen any news articles about him being found. No, me neither. All right. And then. Surprised they don't institute something like guides mandatory. You know, any of the lodge peaks in Ecuador, it's actually required that you take a guide. Yeah. Yeah. Or some sort of a like fixed rope system across that dicey section where people seem to be getting in trouble. I don't know how viable it is, but. They'll figure something out there. Hmm. Yeah. 
All right. So start this next one. We stay in California here. So um, Ruth Waranecki, 40 years old, had climbed a California peak when she slipped on ice and fell, according to a San Bernardino Sheriff's Department official who called her survival a miracle. So this is a Colorado woman. She's fortunate to be alive after she fell during a Christmas Eve hike um, in the San Gabriel Mountains. So 40 years old, she had summited Cucamonga Peak in California and was headed back down the mountain when she slipped on a patch of ice and fell about 200 feet. She's an experienced hiker, but she suffered a broken neck and a severe head wound and facial lacerations. So... um, she was able to walk about 150 feet to a nearby clearing in order for her to meet up with a rescue helicopter. Helicopter had some issues with high winds. Um, so the hiker actually said that she had to hold her broken neck to keep it stable during the walk. And they they basically said wow. that she's she's lucky that she survived this. Tough lady. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. That's an unusual story. Yeah, I guess she was camping with friends, and then she doesn't really remember the fall. Uh, luckily, they were able to send out like a GPS coordinates to rescuers to find her. Um, and there was like another nearby hiker that was able to activate their their Garmin uh, in reach to to help with um, getting a rescue team there. So, uh, but they didn't have any choice. Basically, she was 150 feet away from the only clearing where they could access her with a helicopter. So she just had to walk on her own. There was no other choice. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It was only 150 feet. Yeah. 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 Amazing what you can do when you don't have a choice. Exactly. So, um, hmm. next article here stomp. Two hikers were rescued in Death Valley after sliding down a hill due to icy conditions. So, this is on February 1st. Two men slipped off of. Um, the telescope peak trail while crossing a steep and icy drainage. And this news article actually has um, the the footage from the helicopter finding them and then the uh, the rescue team going down in the basket to, to pick them off. So hmm. pretty interesting footage. I'll link in the show notes and I'll link in Facebook as well. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you never really associate Death Valley with icy, s- steep conditions. I always associate it with blistering heat yeah exactly well, but i know the canyon like a i've been to the grand canyon it's it was below freezing mm-hmm. at, you know at the start and then you're talking about over 120 degrees yeah by the time you hit the bottom and you're climbing back out mm-hmm. so you know that that widespread yeah it just <clears throat> does a number on people and then if it's you know if you have those icy conditions at one point in the day you're not prepared for it Mm -hmm. yeah and the other thing too that's interesting is these guys actually were able to call for a rescue using a cell phone connection so i always picture death valley being like this you know remote place that doesn't you know nothing going for it but they were able to call on a cell phone so yeah literally a dead zone yep um and then this next story here is also in death valley um so loud sounds led a lost hiker to safety after an 18 mile trek through Death Valley Maze. So this lost hiker trekked his way out of uh, a maze of trails in California's Death Valley National Park by following loud sounds which were coming from nearby park rangers. So this guy was from New Jersey. He was out there on Sunday, February 5th when he set out to hike 
um, I guess Wildwood Wild Rose Peak Trail near the nine thousand um, foot snow covered summit with a hiking club. So he opted to fall behind the group again. Don't separate from the group. Uh, he started experiencing head and body aches. They agreed they'd wait for him while the group finished up the hike, and then they'd walk back down the trail. He got cold straight off trail on his own to warm up, and then um, he was lost. He ended up trekking uphill to a ridge, and you know the group basically um, assumed that he had hiked out. And at the same time, you know they realized that he was lost. He was lost, so helicopter search was uh, initiated, and this guy ended up walking like eighteen miles in total. Hmm. Just wondering why he decided to walk uphill. Yeah, I don't hmm. know. It's interesting. Typically, you'd write they go down into drainage. <laughs> yeah. huh, so it says, but when he got cold, he stayed. He strayed back down the trail on his own to warm up. Only he lost the trail and instead descended to drainage. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um. Stomp, this next story I pulled, this is an old story from going back to 2016 and 2018. Mm-hmm. And um, I referenced this in the beginning of the show. There was this guy who has a YouTube channel, which is called High on Life. And it's one of these like influencer YouTube channels. And um, I don't know who owned it if, it, if this guy was one of like a group or people or whatever. But there was an incident in 2016 in Yosemite where a group of Canadian uh, visitors got off of the, the boardwalks and they walked into the, like that, um, the, the geyser area that was off limits. And a bunch of people took pictures of them and it made the news. They ended up arresting the guys. They basically just ignored people telling them like, Hey, you have to stay on the boardwalk. And they were taking videos and pictures and all this stuff. So this is the early days of like YouTube channels and stuff. Um, so they, they got arrested in 2016. One of the gentlemen um, ended up, actually, I think three of the gentlemen ended up going to, one of them pled guilty and got like, I think, a suspended sentence. Three of them pled not guilty, went to trial and ended up having to do a week in jail. Um, and then fast forward two years later, the same group of people ended up, they were hiking in British Columbia on a... Um, you guys may know this. It was a waterfall um, called Shannon Falls. And they were um, hiking on Shannon Falls. It's like this really steep waterfall, hundreds of feet high. They ended up slipping and dying. So this guy ends up getting arrested in Yosemite for ignoring the rules, walking off the boardwalk. He then proceeds to like two years later, climb up this British Columbia Shannon Falls and him and two of his friends ended up falling off of these these waterfalls and dying. So this guy was pretty reckless um, doing stuff. And it looks like the YouTube channel was this like kind of YouTube channel where they're jumping off of cliffs and doing all this crazy adrenaline stuff. So, but it's just interesting to me that like this this guy would get arrested doing something so reckless and then end up, you know, ultimately dying doing, you know, doubling down on something even more dangerous. High on life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll link oh, the man. articles, but I just thought that, um, you know, social media personality. So yeah. 
I think these people that want to go on social media <laughs> and get clout by pushing the envelope, like they got to think twice about this stuff because you can slip and fall and die very easily. A good reason to stay off social media. True, true. <laughs> and then um, that's it. We don't have any local search and rescue. Thank God, Stomp. We only have a bunch of people crashing snowmobiles. So I think there's been six or eight incidents that I've seen, <laughs> but we don't need to get into it. <laughs> yeah, and the primary reason for those several stories was due to the um, the ice that's starting to come through the trails. So mm. people are just whipping around corners, hitting ice, and sliding right off. So, yeah. But that's it. Wow. A little squirt. Show. You did it. <laughs> little squirt and Captain Chris. <laughs> you guys are yeah. great. Thanks for coming by oh, and thank joining you. us. It was a lot of fun. No, it was definitely fun. Yeah, so cool. Come we back. listen to your show every week, Mike. Well, thank you. I appreciate the support. Oh, yeah. No, we, we really enjoy the interaction between you two guys, too. Like, we, we laugh. We'll put oh, it yeah. on for these long drives <laughs> over to the eastern side. I'm like, oh, what episode are you on? And I'm like, have you heard the latest yet? I mean, oh, you, do, you guys do have good interaction between between yourself, too. Yeah, so we appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, we, we laugh. That's good. Yeah, it's come a long way. Jeez, we're, we're creeping up on episode 100, so you guys are 93. Ooh. And there is no 100th guest lined up at the moment. If there, there isn't. If there will be. We don't even know. We're just sort of stumbling into the 100th episode, but that's okay. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. No, it's been really enjoyable, too, listening to you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. So to be able to be a part of that, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no, no doubt. And uh, we'll have you back again, I'm sure. Oh, you know where to find us. <laughs> <laughs> no neighbors. Right up the road. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.